0: Hello, this is Beat Avon, a representative of the Machine Empire. I have been tasked with reading out a disclaimer for the audio program you're about to listen to. I'm not entirely sure why, frankly. I don't know what this has to do with anything we're doing, but whatever. I have been tasked to do it, and sure I shall. Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains strong language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences, and listener discretion is advised. Also, be aware that spoilers for Beat X, as well as any other anime, may occur, so be aware if there's a series or movie you haven't watched yet. Finally, the views and opinions are those of the individual participants of this episode, and do not reflect dub talk as a whole. So keep that in mind before you get into this mess. And watch out for any traitors. I hear there's some leaking working about here. Keep an eye on them, I hear they're, they're bad for business. But good for cartoons, you know? Signing off.
1: Got you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Dub Talk where we cover the latest greatest in anime. I'm your guardian of the South Jamal, and with me tonight we have our guardian to the West Roots.
2: Beanie,
1: beanie, 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 be. And I'll guide you to the east, Amon.
0: Hi, kids. Are you ready to talk about some robots? Because do we have a show for you.
1: Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, due to uh, circumstances, I'll guide you to the north. Lilac was unable to make it to the podcast, so. It's what's for you, Lilac. Now, you're probably wondering, what makes this episode of Dub Talk very special? Well, I'll get to that in a second, but picture this, if you will. The year is 1996. Snowflakes refer to the crystalline structure of snow. <laughs> TV, but was <laughs> Sorry, that took a second. <laughs> TV was a much simpler thing. And, fictionally, the world was being invaded by the Machine Empire. In the West, it was on Power Rangers Zero, but in the East, however, it referred to a very unusual TV anime called Beat X. Now, you're probably wondering, yourself, what is Beat X, anyway? Well, here's a synopsis for you. Rotaro Takumi has invented a new kind of machine which can be directed by little more than human imagination and will. In the shadows, the machine empire secretly harnesses this technology to create a powerful new form of automaton. Deadly free thinking weapons called beats. After years of absence, Kotaro's joyous reunion with his brother Tepe is cut short when the two brothers are attacked. Kotaro is kidnapped, and Tepe gives chase, only to find himself cornered when a miracle appears. His spilled blood awakens the legendary Beat X. Despite X's bullish resistance, Tepe eventually proves himself to be a worthy, successor, a worthy successor of X's might, and together they embark on a crusade against the machine empire to rescue. Kotaro, but the conflict soon escalates when they discover the true reason for his capture and the fate of the plant. Now hinges on their success. So yeah, this is a pretty interesting show. Uh, For context, the author of B DEX, Masami Kurumada, also wrote Saint Seiya. And as far as I can tell right now, this is probably the oldest anime we've ever covered to date. Not counting Sailor Moon on the movie. That's a different story. But, you know. It's, it's kind of pretty unique in the storyline. Yeah, it does take some elements from Saint Seiya, but I think that's where it about stops. What do you guys think?
0: I have a confession to make. I have not watched a single second of Saint Seiya in my
1: life. I also have a confection. I watched part of it when it was on "A uh, Knights of the Zodiac, but I only got as far as the opening.
2: <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it's bowling for soup covering an 80s classic.
1: Yeah, but then I hear that 80s classic again during Grand Theft Auto Vice City commercial, so. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: And, yeah, I also remember the old. Deke Knights of the Zodiac dub with the bowling for soup opening. Actually, yes. Were they the ones who did the the English opening for Rave Master as well? I can't remember.
0: I want to say that's
1: I, right. I honestly couldn't tell you. I only I never really watched much of Rave Master. Not even when it was on the Fox Box. But yeah, as you could tell, this is a 90s. This is basically a 90s-style anime reimagined in 2017, 2018.
2: There is another interesting fact about this dub, though.
1: Yes, and we will get to that shortly. But okay. This is pretty much a review of the show itself, and as such, there will be no predictions. However, this is also a large ensemble cast brought to you by our friends at Soundcated Studios. And this is probably the largest undertaking I've ever undergone, at least until the next time we do this. We will be covering a total of 39 characters, if you could believe it. And as such, there will be no previous roles mentioned. But as always, let's get started with our ADR directors and scriptwriters. Uh, for our main ADR directors, we have two. We have Jeremy Inman and Jimmy David Taylor, for our sister ADR directors we have Marissa Lenti and Abelie Connors, and our scriptwriters are, believe it or not, Jeremy Inman, Jimmy Taylor is the lead, and Eric Vail. Uh, Jeremy Inman, you've known him for other works such as Desert Punk, Golden Comby, Real Life, and BeatX. No, I did not study there's a very good reason for that. Uh, Jimmy David Taylor has no other directing credits, but he has one writing credit for BDX Neo. Marissa Lenti is also assisted directed on Plumid to You, Nabaka, This Boy's a Professional Wizard, and BDX Neo. Abilene Carters has also directed on other properties as, such as Hell's, Real Rainbow Gate, Galaxy Express 999, and the upcoming movie City Hunter Shinjuku Private Eyes. Jeremy Inman is a scriptwriter. is also also works on a couple episodes of Blast Rider, episode of Corpse Princess, and one episode of Initial D* Fourth Stage, and Eric Veil has such shows as *Bucky the Grappler, Spiral, and four episodes of Yu Yu Hakusho. Now, before we get into to, today's discussion, a couple things to note. I know there is one other name on a and N listed, however, we are going by... The credits listed on the 2018 though. Also, this episode is a requesty from Marissa Lenti, who's also our project lead, so thank you very much, Marissa.
0: Thanks, Marissa.
2: Thank you.
1: So, let's decide a pecking order for today. I know I'm going to go last, since I have a little, little bit of the most notes here and there. Would you two like to decide amongst yourselves? Or?
2: I could do either.
1: I'll go first, then. Okay, then. So, take it away, Albert. Uh,
0: I don't quite remember which episode it was, but I think somewhere, somewhere on the first disc, I was watching this, and I suddenly had a really strong flashback to staying up late and watching OG late night tsunami when they show like Ronin warriors and stuff. And given what this is, I cannot think of any higher praise than to say how much this dub captures that '90s anime dub feel. I had so much fun watching this, um, as just as just sort of an exercise and kind of pastiche. This thing is amazing. You could, if I didn't know any better, and I was worse at picking out voice actor uh, voices, you could easily present this, and it's like, oh yeah, this is recorded in like '98. Only, only broadcast on a few cable channels wasn't very well known at the time. Like, you could... I, I would completely buy it. This thing sounds absolutely amazing. Um, the direction and writing on it is great. I think they capture the feel of the show really well. I think they capture the 90s-ness of it really well. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, particularly, particularly given that, um, as I'm, I'm sure you'll get into, this has had a <laughs> complicated history as far as being dubbed goes. But... Um, yeah, this is it's, it's just it's so it's so well cast um it's so fun and punchy um and i just appreciate the fact that they they clearly went for this like no no this is a very this 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 anime is very much of a specific time period um let's try and capture that spirit even in the localization and the dubbing and i just appreciate that just in terms of like you don't see that a lot of the time usually when older stuff gets dubbed they just they dub it and that's and they like, no no slight against that i think that's a perfectly fine thing to do um, but it's so fun to hear an exercise like this where it's like, no, no, what if this actually did get localized in, like, the late 90s? Like, what if it had come over at the time? Um, yeah, this is... I'm, I'm just really impressed by this. It is so great. Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, going off of what Amon has just said, um, one other aspect of it I'd like to give praise for is um, on the... S- on the end of the sound engineering as well. Cause I I'm pretty sure Sound Cadence uses like top of the line equipment for their recording of dubs and voiceover. But the dub of beat X sounds analog. And that in the in the context of a dub being Produced in 2017 for a show from like 1994. That is some very high praise. Uh, the the dialogue is nice, bantery, choppy, punchy, and it's and it's localized in that lovely late late 90s, early 2000s. You know the Japanese licensors aren't over our shoulders, so let's have a little fun with this kind of deal. Um, it, despite the subject matter of the show, if this had aired on, like, Fox Kids at like, 2002, 2003, I would not have been surprised. And, uh, casting's great, scripts, as I mentioned, uh, were great 90s cheese, and the directing is solid, so, thumbs up.
1: Okay then, so, let's get right into this. I, I did not stutter when I said Jeremy Inman also directed BDX because for anybody that doesn't know, this is not the first time they've attempted to dub BeatX. As a matter of fact, this was dubbed by a, a company called Illumitune Entertainment, which if you know what Illumitune Entertainment is, it was a studio that was run by a uh, three former Funimation execs and the only anime they ever managed to put out at the time were this am driver beat the Vandal buster and they distributed i think the first half of bo 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 what? Blah, blah, blah. but yeah they managed to do that and from what I understand on the commentary Jeremy Inman has said himself that uh, well I interpreted it more as like they put a Bruce Faulkner version of the dub and he said it was just kind of all wrong and that I don't know like some, some of the beats were kind of heavily filtered and the music was changed and it was, it was I I guess in the way to compare this the uh, the old BDX was kind of like DBC, whereas the new BDX is more akin to like the Kai version. Because mm-hmm. I remember, because I remember they filmed the first the they refilmed the first ten episodes in Jamie's speedy room. Jamie Taylor, the head of anime midstream actually. So when they so when they so when they managed to do this, they had like you said, the sound engineering was done very well. They had Few issues with the sound engineering at first before they reached out to Sound Cadence to the point you can't even tell some of the old audio was reused. Like, yeah, hmm. yeah, but yeah, everything came out very well. The casting was very solid. I mean, it was pretty much one-one casting, except unless you count the Waller, because I know that was a uh, Marissa thing where they had to keep the casting. Consistent, she didn't want to double cast anybody unless it was the same character. Which, I kind of had a slight issue with one of them, but the show kind of makes that point out over time, so I'm willing to forgive it. Uh, Let's see. Everything stayed faithful to the 90s. I mean, it was a 90s style dub without the 90s style censorship, thank you very much. (laughs) I should know being a kid of the 90s. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. but everything checked out pretty well. It was as cheesy as I expected. It was as fun as I expected. Very nostalgic too. This is this is one time I would put on nostalgic glasses and be happy about something instead of, you know, just complain about the outcome or something. But I think everything everybody did their job very well. That gotta give them props. And And much like directing, you know, everybody here is a storyteller. So, as we get right into our characters, and so the story begins. First up, we have Karen, a former soldier of the Machine Empire, previously one of the four spiritual guardians, who was exiled, who was later pretty much declared near dead from her injuries, to the point that young Tempe here rescued her from her captors, and... As a result, I was almost killed himself to Karen gave him a blood transfusion. There's a very good reason that break that up. But but later on we learned that the whole reason for Karen's actions is not only to help Tepe, but to also to rescue her sister, Kari, too, who has in- uh, trauma induced amnesia stemming from a field trip in which uh Ooh, gonna get that real quick in which most of her friends were killed by a beat named Raffaello during the experiments. As such, she was placed in the care of the foe as not only a military soldier, as one of his underlings as well. So, playing these three, Karen is played by Morgan Garrett, your Tempe is played by Kristen McGuire, and Kai is played by Joanna Beattie. Uh, as I said there'll be no previous roles mentioned so we're gonna get right to discussion Root, I mean all, you go ahead
0: hmm. um, I thought this is a set of uh, good strong performances um I see where should I start uh, I like I, I liked uh, Joanna playing uh Kyrie I thought she uh, she like she she like a number of characters are talking about she suffers a little bit for not being on screen like all the time uh even for as long as the show is like a lot of these are these characters show up more than once, but a lot of these are kind of one-shot characters. Uh, but I like what she did. I thought she did a good job of, um, selling Kyrie's relationship with Foe uh, as, like, you know, like this, like, kind of, like, uh, in the sense of, like, she's, pr- like, she's in this because she trusts Foe, not necessarily because she trusts the people that he's working for. Uh, and also, you know, she takes care of orphans, so that's nice. Um... I thought Joanna did, like, just did a good job with this character of someone who's, like, kind of reserved and take things very seriously, but also clearly has, like, moral stakes in this issue. Uh, she's not here just to be evil, even if she is sort of technically working for the bad guys. Um, and I enjoyed that. I thought it was, uh, she was, she was not always nice to see whenever she came up on screen. Um, sorry, I'm having a lozenge because my throat's a little gross. Um. Uh, I like Kristen as young Tepe, uh, who also doesn't show up too much, um, but I thought she did a good performance, it was a good, like, you know, young shounen, pro- you know, really young, I guess, Shonen protagonist kind of a voice, uh, like, very peppy and excited and wanting to do good and dealing with the terrible things in the world, um, and I thought she especially worked well with, uh, Morgan during the scenes, during, like, the flashbacks when you see young Tepe, like, meeting Karen for the first time and starting to train and that kind of thing, um. I thought they played off each other really well. I really liked Morgan as Karen. I thought she she really nailed that, like, tough 90s anime lady style. Like, uh, like pretty much anytime you see her, she's always clearly, like, someone who can go kick your ass. Uh, and does a few times. Um, and also, but also as a a more empathetic side to her, like, she has, she has kind of gotten in with this young kid. Uh, and, like, you know, she starts training them and they, they they sort of forge this bond together. Um, I think she sells really well both with, uh, you know, both with Kristen and with um, Adult Tepe, who we'll talk about later. Um, just good, like, good solid performances. I, 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 I have not gotten around to seeing the sequel OVAs, which I know were also dubbed, uh, but I look forward to seeing those in part because I know, or at least I suspect some of these smaller characters will show up again. It'd be nice to see them again. I think these are good, strong performances, even if they're sometimes for characters who are infrequently used.
1: All right, would.
2: Yeah, I largely agree with Amon that this particular group, other than Karen, kind of suffers from the fact that they just don't show up a lot. Um, Kristen Maguire's young Tepe, you know, it's... It's there to serve a very particular purpose, and I think she did a really good job with it. Basically just as sort of the introductory to the reasoning Tepe is doing what he's doing. He's training to keep his brother safe. He's he does want to be like this valiant guardian, and I I like the fact that she gave the younger version of Tepe sort of that pep energy and more importantly, the naivete that uh, Karen basically has to train out of him. And um, one interesting side note about Kari is that, um, according to the commentary track, uh, she had to have her character renamed because, in the Japanese version, it's Karine, which, you know, considering her sister's name is Karen, would have caused some confusion, so they pretty much just dropped the N and rest is history. Um, I I liked it, even though, once again, she doesn't really get to do a lot other than just kind of show up, take care of some orphans, and then have a really tragic backstory. But I think um, Joanna Beatty did a pretty good job with what she was given, and I... Like I'm on, I hope she shows up a little more and beat X Neo, so that there's a little more time to spend to flush her out. And I really like, um, I, I really like the performance of Karen. Um, I I like that Morgan Garrett plays her with sort of that toughness, but also, you know, if you pay attention to the end credits, she's sitting there with a bunch of puppies. So, you know, there's a bit of a duality there that she gets really well. Um, I do particularly like the scenes where she is training young Tepe and basically teaching him that, oh, the world is kind of harsh. Like, a little more than you think. But, you know, that that sort of pep is a good thing. Like, hold on to it a little bit. But be ready to... Be ready to know the world doesn't quite work the way you think it works. So, I I like these three performances. Thumbs up.
1: All right, then. So, Joanna Beattie, I'm not familiar with this much. Uh, I haven't finished, because I know the last time she was mentioned on this podcast was My Roommate's a Cat. I haven't finished that show yet. But I did like her performances. Kari. it's funny. I was debating putting Kari on here, and then, I, and then like the last, there were two episodes on the last couple of discs I watched. And I was like, oh okay. So I hate to say this, I really do, but I, I think pretty much Kari and Tepe kind of plot devices to serve both Karen and Tepe. Yeah. But. Mm. Joanna, but Joanna's performance, it kind of reminded me of a cross between Rita Paletti and Skylar McIntosh with a little treat would have thought it for good measure, I, That I was pretty interesting. I really do hope we get to see more of Kari and BDX Neo. You know, just just to see the resolve between her and because, you know, I know Ken's gonna have to show up in Neo sometime, but we'll get more to that later. Uh... Krista McGuire, you'll hear Krista McGuire do a boy voice after, because I know she's done it four times already. One of them may be in an episode we might be covering, I don't know. But I have heard her do a boy voice in a Space Battleship Tiramisu. I was impressed that was even her, so get to hear a play.
2: I'd love to do an episode of Space Battleship Tiramisu. <laughs>
1: We might be able to work something out there. But anyway, back to what I was saying. But here, to do a boy voice was kind of impressive. Because, you know, normally when I hear Crystal McGuire in anime, I can pick her out easily. I I couldn't, for the love of God, tell that was her the first time I watched this series. For a, 90, for a 90s anime, it was it was very impressive. Sometimes I have to be real careful guys, say. Because anytime I talk about... Kristen McGuire is usually open mouth and certain fur, even though I do, mean very, I do mean things very well, but I, I have to give her pretty much my highest praise for playing a little boy voice because I know a lot of times uh, for most female actors it's pretty tough to do because you have to get into that lower register but Kristen managed to play it kind of natural, it was very impressive but getting right into Karen Morgan Garrett, he, Morgan Garrett, was, Morgan Garrett's always impressive to me, no matter what, but seeing her play this kind of character was very unusual, because I know Morgan Garrett for a lot of sex pop characters, like, you know, she plays a lot of sexy characters and stuff, so when you see her play against Norm, it's kind of interesting. By the way, if you ever want to make her a day, just bring a copy of B-Dex for her to autograph, she will be very happy you did, trust me on that. So, seeing her play an action kind of character, it was very impressive, because I know, like, she's played a lot, not as many sim- characters similar to Kara because I know the big thing, I know Maggie likes uh, her as a cute model, and I can see why. And Morgan is uh, is very impressive in these types of characters, after meeting her in person, I can see why. But... Overall, I think all 3D's actresses, all 3D's ladies, did a very solid job. I salute you. So, now that we've started establishing the backstory for the show, we're going to get right into the area. To which, in order, cause in order for Tepe to save his older brother, he has to pass through these checkpoints, defeating the soldiers and the Bedex along the way. And the first point he encounters we have <laughs> we I specifically have,
2: had to ask for this character to be added into this list.
1: I'll i no, no you didn't. I wanted him to be on this list. I mean I could not we could not go without talking about Captain Hook <laughs> and I, a pirate who rides an Earthworm BDX named Groupie. We have, I guess, his cohort, or his, Uh, Gaku, who manages to defend the port while Captain Hook is gone. Who manages to pilot a giant robot made out of some junk. Impressive. And then, on the way to the next checkpoint, we encounter Dr. Sagi former doctor with the Machine Empire, whose body was turned cybernetic, not by his own will, who's developed a shielding technology that to help him survive in the, I think it's in Death Valley, they call it, where the gusts of the wind kind of create this harmonic sound that destroys beats, internal systems. It's a complicated process. That's how you know you're watching a 90s anime, where they don't really simplify a lot of the things going on. But getting into these three, Captain Hook is played by Robert McCollum, Gaku is played by Abeli Cardus, and Dr. Saji is played by Dick Laddis, aka Latter Painter. About Hmm.
0: I enjoyed these performances a lot. Um let me see. I'm trying to use my cheat sheet here to remember who everyone is because
1: there's a lot of characters. Well, obviously you know, know, obviously you know which one Captain Hook. Oh, is. I
0: know Captain Hook. That's the easy one, but I want to save him for last. Um, let me see. Uh, let's start with let's start with Doctor Zaji. Um, I enjoyed his performance. Like he was just, I, I thought, I thought Nick did a good. He did a good kind of like weary old man he has been through a lot. A lot, lot. Oh boy, has he
1: been through. It did
0: so, and then so he he was very, he was very good at projecting somebody who's like, like smart and capable, but also just very tired with everything that's been happening. Um, uh, yeah, like he's he's another character who's only in it for like I think one episode, maybe like one and part of another one. Um, but I thought he left a good, strong impression. I thought Uh, he was just very, like he, you know, he's this capable guy who can help out, but just like. too much, man. I've been. I I'm, he's so tired. Uh, and as a, I've as a tired old man myself. I can appreciate that. Um, how do you say he was? He was a very fun. It was like a fun little one-off character. I thought Nick just played him very well. Uh, also, if memory serves, uh, Nick gets some good bloopers in that you can find on the disc of the DVD. Incidentally, if you like bloopers, yeah. you should really buy the show. <laughs> just gonna yes, say, please. just yes, please just do it. Um. I enjoyed his performance a lot. Um, I feel it's kind of the same way about Gaku, uh, who is just a nice little side character who popped up for a little bit while, uh, ugh, while uh, they're heading out through the desert. Uh, I just, I liked his whole bit with um his little like robot suit and trying to be like a fake beat basically, uh, which I also thought very was very funny. I thought Amber Lee did a really good job of capturing that like, yeah, both like kind of the little kid voice, but also what I feel like is a very like kind of '90s little kid voice, uh just very like very like you know spunky and punchy and it's like hey what are you doing i'm trying i'm trying to be a giant robot here why are you destroying my stuff uh just like really just like really fun and punchy i really enjoyed it during uh i just really enjoyed the her performance during the episodes that gaku was in let's talk about the true hero of the hour robert (laughs) mccullough as captain hook are you the sort of person who likes pirates in your giant robot anime well, do I have news for you. Uh, he is so he is hamming it up so hard here. He is having so much fun. It is just like, he's a pirate captain. Let's make him a pirate captain. What's... What, no. They're not, not going to dance around this. We know why you're here. We know what you want. Uh, and he is having so much fun. Uh, it is... Uh, that's... I'm not sure I'd say that's the first really good fight of the series, because there are a lot of good fights in this series, but the whole fight between... Uh, Tepe and Beat and then Captain Hook and Groofy is just a delight to watch like it's so big and flashy and ridiculous and Robert McCullum is a large part of that because he is just going full pirate the entire time it is such a great performance I'm so I'm so happy I watched this for a lot of reasons but this in particular is just yes thank you thank you for going for broke when it counted (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't I don't want to take up too much time so you guys can say stuff about it, so Roots, if you if you like to go.
2: Yeah, um I'm gonna keep a lot of this kinda quick up until we get into like the last couple of segments. Um I, I like Nick Landis's Dr. Zaji. Like like Amon said, he he plays the tired disgruntled scientist very, very well. Um Amberly Connors has a lot of spunk and pep as Gaku. Um, even in the scenes where he's kind of dying from being exposed to acid, which is not how that works.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but...
1: It's the 90s, yeah. they were a weird type.
2: That, that was... I, I really liked it, and I liked that Gaku got to basically hang around for a couple of episodes, and just be spunky, peppy, and overly optimistic about things. Um, but, like, come on, I'm basically here for Robert McCollum speaking Pirish. It's just that beautiful combination of ham and cheese. Mmm. It, it's... I love that this is a dub that can get away with that, basically. Because if you... If, now, Funimation director had Robert McCollum do sort of a pirate accent for, like, a character that is only vaguely pirate in an anime. They couldn't get away with that, are you kidding me? But here, he just gets an environment to just play around, and it's, it's great. All three of these are great. Thumbs up.
1: Hey, so... Nick Landis is Dr. Sanji. It's kind of impressive for somebody i never really heard a lot of, because as I've said in the Hells episode, I don't watch the bridge stuff, so I'm not as familiar with Team Four Stars, so sorry. But Nick did a pretty good job. I was, I was surprised. Uh, Emily Connors is Gaku. I didn't really expect Emily Cott- I've never heard Emily Cottes play Little Boy before. I thought, you know, maybe just being the 90s, um, you could... You could kind of get away with it, yeah, it was pretty good. I thought maybe this was just going to be a one-time thing, and then I heard her as a boy in cutie the universe, to which, Chef's kiss. But of course, the hero, I quote-unquote hero, of 3-3 is uh, Robert McCartney's Captain Hooker's my God, I haven't heard a pirate accent like that since Captain Mutiny for Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. Mm. That is so <laughs> 90s. That is so 90s, and it just hits right in the sweet spot. But everybody here did a pretty good job, and time to move on to the next section, because I know there's one of these characters I want to talk about. So, we didn't mention this, but the whole thing with Beats is that the beat stands for Brain, Blood, Bravery, bravery and Battler. The machines that run our blood instead of oil. And the program allegiance to a specific blood donor. Basically, once they die, once the donor dies, that's it for the beat. Of course, there's always an exception to the rule, but we'll get to him later. I bring this up as Tepe goes through our next two checkpoints. One being... Uh, one being a uh, oasis one by uh, Camila. who harnesses uh, the powers of illusion through the use of her flowers as well as creating an evil flower that kind of pits both Tepe and X against each other at one point we have her beat mirage which is a, a giant beat modeled after a moth butterfly and then after that we get to a graveyard, which is run by the Maria, and the God of Death who covets it, also named Aleph. God of Death, we learn, is uh, Maria's brother, who both of them gave their lives to become cyborgs in order to, in turn, to, ter- 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 who both gave their lives to be cyborgs in order to achieve eternal life. So, play these four, Camila is played by Belly Gretz, Mirage is played by Melissa Sturdenberg, Maria is played by Alexis Tipton, and Aleph is played by Tyler Walker. Ahmad? Uh,
0: how should I start? Uh, so these are, these are, these are some fun, these are more, more fun one-shot characters. You're gonna hear a lot about that, especially in this section. Um... I really liked uh, Millie Grant and Melissa as Cavilla Mirage. I especially thought, because I thought this was one of the better examples of, like, one of the beat users in the beat having a really strong, kind of playing off each other really well. Like, having, uh, like, the, the the voice acting, I thought, uh, helped sell their relationship as sort of, like, you know, partners in evil doing and tricking people and so on. Um, I just, it, I just like their performances a lot. How do I put in it? the words? I, a lot of it helped that I th- I just bought that like, oh, yeah, these two have been around a while. Like they they work together. They they, you know, they got each other's backs as it were. Um, I just thought each gave like each gave a very good performance for what it was needed. Uh, like, you know, these two obviously they're very They're sly and calculating. They do illusions to trick people and stop people from going out. Uh, also, they're just in a fun episode I thought I, I just really enjoyed that because it's so weird and trippy to watch. Um, so that was a, that was a bonus in, in my, in my, as far as I'm concerned, uh, what else? Yeah, no, I, it was a good, like, it was a good, strong duo. I thought, um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, good job. Um, and, uh, Maria and Aleph aren't, well, they're sort of a duo. <laughs> <And laughs> sort of. <laughs> um, yeah. They're also fun. I especially like, I liked Alexis's Maria a lot. I I, I thought Maria, I thought Alexis did a good job of selling kind of the, the tragedy of Maria's situation where, um, like, you know, everything was supposed to go so well and they had such high hopes and everything has gone so wrong. And she just tends to this endless graveyard of people she used to know um, while her um, brother, is that it? Is that how they're related? Yeah. all, yeah. her, well, her brother has, like, turned into this horrible monster who just terrorizes anybody else who, like, dares set foot in this area. Um, and, you know, she, has, she, hasn't, she doesn't get a lot. She doesn't get that much to do, per se, just because she's only in, basically, like, an episode and change. Um, but I, I thought, like, for what the character needed, I thought Alexis nailed that very well. And uh, Tyler... I'm trying to remember does 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 the guy who actually say anything or does he just growl? Like I'm I'm blanking on it. Uh,
1: uh, both. His wedgie dies like towards That's the end. Right. You see the flashback.
0: Right. Yeah. I, well, I thought obviously he's he, Tyler makes good good growly noises for this horrifying uh, skeleton monster. Um, but when you do see him in the flashback, like before he turned into that, when he was just like some human trying to do good, I like I it was a good performance. I thought he got a, he he sold a lot of that. This is a weird show in that it's like very shonen-y but also like a little pessimistic in a way i'm not used to seeing a lot of like shonen anime being i thought tyler kind of like you know you showed kind of that like what used to be and how how optimistic everybody was and then how just that much that contrast with the present you've been witnessing where it's just like the worst possible outcome like they didn't save anybody it's bad it's real bad um yeah no just good performances all around i was really happy with him
2: Okay, um, I, I liked, uh, Melly and Melissa as sort of the illusionist trickster duo that basically try to convince Tepe and b to kill each other. Like, I, I really like those story arcs where it's just, um, somebody uses an insecurity in one of the protagonists to fight the other. I, I love those, because, like, they usually end with everybody just deepening their bond and like that. That's some good, wholesome shonen content right there. Um, I, I like how sort of, oh, what's the word? Um, tragic. Melly plays Camilla. Cause um one of the side jobs of the character is basically to deliver flowers to another character because of medicinal properties and all that. And it's, um... Like... Her death sort of has a little more implication to the world around her than the other one-shot characters do. So... But I thought they're... They're dynamic together and... Ultimately, the the fight scenes they get were pretty great, great performances. And um, again, a really tragic char- set of characters, um, Maria and Aleph. Um, sadly, Alexis Tipton doesn't really get a lot to do in the two episodes she gets, but um, I I like that she's. She's sort of this still kind of optimistic, but, you know, trying to suppress cynicism for what has been going on with the world around her and what the Machine Empire has done to her friends and family. And then Tyler Walker just gets to growl and scream a lot, which is great. It's just... I I, I love that performance, and... Um, Special shout-out to uh, Scott Frericks for playing Aleph's beat. Uh, was it ever named? Bat. Okay, so it was just called Bat.
1: Yeah, was, it, was it was all the bats.
2: Which is just, uh, again, a bunch of screaming, because presumably both of them lost their minds years ago. So, great all-around. Thumbs up.
1: Mm. Uh, I'm actually, go- I'm going to save Camilla for last for reasons. Uh, Melissa Sturdenberg is Mirage. First, the first time I heard it, I thought it was Megan Shipman. But then, yeah, I guess because, you know, she was so much, so many background characters, it kind of blended in a little easily. But no, Melissa actually did a pretty good job, and her voice managed to stand out slightly easier now. Uh, Alexis Tipton's Maria. Funny, <laughs> tip Alexis Tipton played another Maria characterist. Except instead Maria the Virgin Witch, is Maria the Cyborg Nun. She doesn't get as much to do in the show, but she manages to make it a bit dramatic. She managed to make the drama come flowing very easily. Especially when it comes to the God of Death, in which... I'm not... Believe it or not, I'm not too familiar with Tyler Walker's voice. Mostly because he's known as a director, which he recently stepped out as. So when I got to hear, so whatever I do get to hear his voice, it's amazing how soft spoken it could be, like because if you because if you ever see Tyler Walker, Tyler Walker look like a rough kind of dude, but he could pull off that voice very well, though. I appreciate it. Now let's get to Melly Grantis Camilla, cause oh my god! So here's the thing: in the Japanese... Because like she had to go into a deeper register for this, because in the Japanese, Camilla was voiced by Kappa Yamaguchi, who Whoa. you know more for, who you know more for as the voice of Inuy- Inuyasha and Detective Conan, and I'll bring up Detective Conan again for another reason.
2: Also, Usopp, which is where I know him from.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. The fact that she had to go to a deeper register for that was very impressive to the point I literally thought Camilla was a guy. Like, the first time I heard that, I was like, is that David Mills? <laughs> uh, hot take, I think this actually kind of put Damon Mills' Black Magic to shame. And I'll stand by that. I don't care who, what anybody says. Don't at me. But yeah it, yeah, it was very impressive, and you know, once I found out it was Melly great, I could hear a little bit more of the femini- femininity as the time goes on. Femininity, yeah, fuck it. I'm not going to try to pronounce that word again. But, it's kind of a shame too, because when this DVD came out, it was like, not only sold out, but also there was like supposed office issues. If I had got to this before the Derby's last year, I would have automatically given Melly Grant my Black Magic Award, because, and for context, watch the I Know Kusabi episode, I can see why Gigi thought she smokes like three packs a day, because that voice is impressive to hear. The fact that it's so androgynous, he literally thought it was another a person of another sex, but nope, it's Melly Grant's at work, and now that I've heard her, now that I'm familiar with her voice work, I probably gonna have to go back and watch Fairy Tale again because I say yes to the Mario. especially after all that fan art. Anyway, everybody here did a very good job. Of course, Melly Grab being me the standout of the four. So we move on to the next few areas. Actually, it's kind of backwards because we actually reached the last two points in this show, at least for now. We have the mercenary, Bem, and his beat Cancer, a crab, model after a crab. Pretty much, they're trying to hunt Tempe down, obviously for money, and, uh, to torture a trader. Well, they can't torture a trader, because when we get to send trainer I'll explain why. And then we have Balzac, and his beat, the uh, Mimicolian Savannah. Also, they're down to hunt Traitors of the Machine Empire, but it, that's pretty much all the purposes. So, Bam is played by Alejandro Saab, Cancer is played by Rico Fajardo, Balzac is played by Mark Stoddard, and Savannah is played by Zach Bolton. I'm about to go ahead.
0: Hmm. Where to start? Um. I thought Alejandro and Rico were really fun together. <laughs> yeah. Part- yeah, partially just because it starts off Bev and Cancer just kind of hanging out in the desert, and it's like, eh, we're gonna have to worry about nothing. Nobody's coming through here. Very much like they—they <laughs> they have the air of the guys who um, kind of got—they uh, they, kind of got you know they got this job because they knew somebody. <laughs> and it's like we don't have to do anything. We can just sit out here and <laughs> like no one's coming through this part of the desert. We're set. And then beating Tepe show up, and it's like, ah, we have to, we have to work, like against that guy.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> and then they get old to the end.
0: <laughs> it was a full. They, were, they Their day started out so nicely, and ended so poorly. <laughs> Oops. Um. But they're a lot of fun. Uh. Just. They played off each other really well. I thought they just nailed the, like, like, the comedy of their characters really well. It was also nice hearing, um, such, uh, one of the things I appreciate about this dub is that, like, they could have easily just cast this with, like, uh, more veteran actors, but I do like the fact that they, like, made a point of, like, no, no, we're gonna reach across, like, a lot of the Texas acting pool. In case of point here, you have, I think, or at least in my mind, are, like, much more on the, like, newer voice actor end uh coming in here and fitting in right in with everybody else and sounding really good um and i, I, I appreciate that like they did just feel the need to like rely on veterans who would have been in a show like this at the time because they were voice acting at the time uh, but i think that paid off especially here i think they're they're both really fun and uh i don't i don't i don't know if either of them are saint Seiya fans uh but uh, I'm sure, like, they're, at the very least in the right age group, where I'm sure they grew up watching 90s dubs that they were into anime at the time, so I'm sure being in something like this must have been a blast for them.
2: Oh, and by um, the way, yeah, Alejandro Sob is really into Saint Seiya.
0: Yeah, I'm not shocked. So this, even if this isn't Saint Seiya proper, I'm sure this was might have been a lot of fun for him. Uh, since, as far as I know, at least, like, it's from the same Creator, you're getting a similar flavor of high-octane action. Um, yeah, no, just... A lot of good fun performances um, I, I enjoyed Mox, uh, mark and Zach as Balzac and Savannah as well uh, just good fun fight scenes just good fun action and stuff uh, I don't know they just they fit the character they fit the characters very well um, they once again had some like fun a fun good episode or two doing what they're doing Um Yeah, no, it's just, it was, it was, was, there's a lot of good 90s in this dub. That's kind of my overarching feeling. It's like, good 90s. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nice. (laughs)
2: So, did anybody else get kind of a, um, Rosencrantz and Gildersern are dead vibe out of Ben and Cantor?
1: (laughs) 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 I... I, I never understood that, but I did get something along those lines.
2: It's, um, basically the plot of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead are basically, it's a play set in the world of Hamlet, just by, from the perspective of two guys just watching this stuff going on.
1: Oh, okay then.
2: Like, it, it's <laughs> great, you should check, yep. Like there's probably like a version of it on DVD. You should check it out. It's it's wonderful.
0: That's anyway. a very on. That's a very on point reference that I hadn't thought of. It makes a lot of sense.
2: But I just like the fact that Alejandro and Rico fardo get this opportunity to like banter and shit talk with each other about. Oh yeah, this guy's coming. We can take him. No, they can't. They can't at all. What are you talking about? Just... Like, going from, oh, I don't want to work, to, oh, we can take him, to, oh, shit. Just over the course of the episode, as as dex is flying by. Like, it's just... The episode was just fun, and part of that was due to the... Due to the banter of Alejandro and Rico. Like, it's it's great. Um, I don't have much to say about Savannah. Because, like, that's one of the beats I don't really get to speak all that much. And, um... While Balzac and is um, just sort of the stereotypical... Haughty, arrogant, old man character. Um, I saved him for last because... Um Mark Stoddard gets the best sequences of the blooper reel just trying to pronounce the word Mermacolian.
1: <laughs>
2: like, that right there is worth the price of admission of buying the DVD alone. Just him constantly Merma shit. Like, it's great. It's wonderful. And performances are great. The blooper reel is even better.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, let's get this out of the way. Uh, Barzac and Savannah. Barz- Mark Stoddard is Barzac. I thought it was pretty good because, you know, as we've said from time to time, whenever we hear Mark Stoddard, you know, he's a typical... Authoritative military kind of voice, and it easily fits here. Of course, it would, and of course, this and then some, especially in the blue premiers. Well, he did a pretty good job. S- uh, Zach Bolton, Savannah, that doesn't speak as much and the way I did recognize his voice a little. It, it's pretty good for what the is worth. Also, holy shit, I get to talk about Zach Bolton. Hey. <laughs> Rico Fajardo is cancer. It's probably one of the most happiest things in this section to ever come out, cause you know, it's just it's just goofy Rico being goofy, having a little fun with it, you know. Because of course, yeah, yeah, he ain't make it in the end. Alejandro Sab is Beb I'm sorry, Roots, it's not gave kuda, but. Mm. Alejandro Thompson, I can't say, you know, you didn't get Alejandro, you got a paycheck out of this. No, because it was so much more than that. Even if it was a one-shot character. <laughs> One shot, but he died by a fireball. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: I mean, not even he being out-
2: directly attacked. He's just on the side, just boom, boom. They didn't even he notice He died by him.
1: proximity. He, he died by proximity, but... Alejandro did very good with his very deep very, very commanding. You know, especially when he's looking for a fight, you know. FACE ME Tempe, And all of that. It's it pretty amusing to watch. Everybody did a good job here as well, so. So, as we kind of get closer and closer to the area, we encounter the Dark Knights. Uh, private military force activated by uh, the uh, activated in response to the Machine Emperor decided to take over the spiritual guardians. Once once they believe they fail, they had to hunt one of the they to hunt one of the traitors of the spiritual guardians who we'll get to later. But pretty much all three of them are brothers who hate each other. Of course, Rai being the oldest brother and Mira being the youngest. Leon's just that in between, but Mira is actually the leader of the Dark Knights himself, so. The desire to retrieve Camilla's flowers for medicinal properties after Camilla herself is dead. I'm playing these three, Rai is played by Arbus Elliott, Leon is played by Brandon Potter. Ed is played by Gianni Matricardo. Does it say grado Right.
0: That's what I read.
1: Okay, good. If there was an accent marked then it would be slightly confusing. Anyway, go ahead, Abas. Uh.
0: Hmm. I, I like I enjoy these performances. Um. I do think they're pretty solid. I think if they had a. If they had a flaw, it's that I feel like of a lot of the one-shot characters, the Dark Knights feel not the least of, but they're not quite as memorable as some of the other ones. Uh, You know, they're no, no, you know, skeleton robot or knuckleheads in the desert who think they're going to have an easy time of things and then don't. Um, But I I did like the performance. I did think um, the three of them, I I thought the three of them kind of did a good job playing up the kind of like... Inter-family political aspect of these uh, characters were like uh, they're all like you know they're all kind of jockeying for the same position and they're nominally on the same side, but they will not you know if one of them dies, it's like oh he was weak. Eh. Well, more for me. Yeah. Um, they, I, I thought they did kind of the sinister backstabbiness of it really well. Oh, excuse me
1: still early i guess um I, i'm not gonna lie. i'm gonna relay those thoughts in my segment so <laughs> um you know like i i enjoy their performances i think
0: i think oh, once again these are characters who just like they don't show up too too much and so on sort of a review front there's not there's not a lot lot to dig into but i did i did like their performances it's also and also it's always fun to hear our bruce elliott and stuff uh, I like him. I like his voice. Uh, he usually isn't cast in leads because, except for maybe narrators, you, there isn't a lot of call for guys with like deep, rumbly, dramatic voices. But he's he's used really well here, so I thought that was fun.
1: And Samurai 7. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, and Samurai 7, yeah. <clears throat> oh,
1: yeah. Oh, are you, are I,
0: you I set? I, yeah, no, I, think, yeah they're, I, I, I like these performances, even if I thought the characters weren't, didn't stick in my mind as strong as some of the others.
2: Yeah, and I think that's my problem too. Um, largely, the performances themselves were strong. The sort of interplay of familial jockeying for position, like that was, that was fine. The characters were just kind of forgettable. In the grand scheme of things, they almost felt like filler. Uh, just because they they use very similar beats. There were times when I thought it was basically the same character, like, more than once. And if it weren't for the voices being different, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell them apart.
0: I'm actually curious, are they filler? Because I know I know the anime and the manga that it's adapted from do diverge at some point. And I'm wondering if these guys might have been bridging material, maybe somebody who had just been introduced to the manga and didn't have a lot to them yet, something like that. Yeah.
2: It it felt that way, but you know I I don't think the manga is available in the US, so it's not something I can just readily check.
0: <laughs> well we should we should actually I'll uh, leave, leave it, that for the end, but go on.
1: Okay, good.
2: Um anyway. Um like it was it was fine. They had good fight moments in between one another and against against uh, Tepe and X, but otherwise, like, it was, as as a review, like Amon said, this is just kind of a weird interlude segment that just, they didn't get to do a lot, and,
1: yeah. That's yeah. Alright, so, to admit, i bought on doing during this section, uh, <laughs> I actually thought this was the weakest arc out of all of them, mostly because when I myself watched it, I watched it twice before recording. Hell, I had to watch this bit again, just to make sure I didn't forget about these characters and how they died, because, yeah, they died, of course. I fell asleep during the first two times, because I was like, I don't know, like, it was something about that arc, I mean, Character size was slightly different, because for one thing, one had crazy hair, one was bald, and the other was kind of young and suave. I'm say did good as an older man, you know, not an old man, but an older man in, in terms of in terms of uh, familial relations. Brandon Potter's Leon, I'm not going to lie, if you look at a picture of Brandon Potter, you look at a picture of this character, they kind of look almost the same. But Brandon Potter's a good guy deep down. Yeah, remember, folks, actors are not their characters. They may look like them sometimes, but they're not. But I guess, for me, the standout of the three would have to be Gian- Gianni as Mira, because, for one thing, I've never heard of this actor before, and that's because I found out he's... the only ever the only other one to his name is uh, Death Battle. Which, surprise, surprise, if, you know, Marissa Lenti her casting powers, she also does casting for Death Battles. Sometimes, she'll take performers from Death Battles and put them in other projects. And this And this is not the first time, either, so... I thought, you know, for what the arc was worth, everybody did a very good job. I mean, they gave strong performances to very weak arc, but... Nonetheless, they were all pretty good. But, in the middle of this storytelling, we probably should have taken a little detour, because along the way, this, the, pretty much in the middle of the story, kind of diverges into two perspectives. You have Tepe's perspective, and you have Kotura's perspective. And Tepe encounters, along the way, this old man who was a war hero for the Machine Empire, Named Chaos. And his Beat. Lamor, Which I'm pretty sure is modeled after a beetle. I forgot. But yeah. And then from Kotaro's perspective. Because he. At one point he sent to the Underhell. We have. Marcelo. And M who's pretty much an enforcer for the Underhell. And his partner Amigo. This giant raging beast of. <laughs> raging <laughs> this, this this giant raging beast who just grunts. I guess he kind of has a mind of his own as you can tell later on. But uh, playing these four, Chaos is played by Bruce Carey, Lamor is played by Jason Banoca, Marcelo is played by Justin Breider, and Amigo is played by Chris Rager. Ah, why don't you take it away?
0: Sure. Uh, let's see. Um, where to start? Uh, I, li- I like Bruce and Jason as Chaos and L'Amour. Uh Just good, solid, just good, solid performances. Uh, I thought Bruce kind of sold. Um, it, it, I, I liked his performances, kind of like this world-weary fighter who. You know, does he does not like the people he used to work for. He would like to instigate rebellion, but he's kind of old. He's not a position to do it anymore. Um, but I, I thought he, he he did a good job of balancing that world weariness with like his hope of seeing like here's somebody like Tepe, who is in a position to do that and has the chops for it. Um, I th- he, he was he was very if he did that good kind of like '90s Shonen inspiring tone to his voice uh, when he was doing that stuff um it was just a good it was like a good performance these are also one of these ones in part because i'm not as familiar with these actors off the top of my head where um if you like showed me a clip of them and said like you know oh this is a 90s dub be like i completely believe that uh it it very it very much hit the the tone of the times uh really well uh, which i appreciate because of the show this is um but now let's talk about my one of my favorite parts of this show (laughs) Uh, which is just Justin Briner just being this awful little gremlin, on and off, for the be- for like the, I feel like the almost the entire back half of the show. Um, he is he I, I did not recognize that this is Justin when I first started listening to it, and he is, he is having he is so great in this. Just, just what an awful little turd, can't follow orders, constantly trying to cover his own back when he screws up
1: they constantly forgettable, too. <laughs>
0: um, he was just, he was just, he was, he was, he was, he's so awful, and he's, he's so fun at it, because I'm used to, I, I, I'm used to seeing Justin play characters who are either more heroic, or if they're a little, they're all off their, like, um, luck from Black Clover, where they're still very competent at their job, they're just arguably also a crazy person, so it's fun hearing him play somebody who's both so conniving, and also kind of incompetent. Um... I just I had a lot of fun there. Um, I also like Chris Lager's Amigo. Obviously he doesn't do as much because Amigo's a little monosyllabic. Um but like he like he did a good voice for uh like that character. And I especially uh liked um his uh like a lot of the stuff he was doing towards the end with um tefe's brother who Kataro? is that Teface brother Who's yeah yeah i liked i liked i liked a lot of his interactions with um katara which obviously are more from Kataro's end than his. but i thought uh, like chris rager kind of like sold it as he was able to for this character type um i don't really I, like i really enjoyed that performance as well um like yeah these are like these are fun characters i'm not sure we're gonna see them again unfortunately uh but i liked one of them while they're on screen thank you thanks guys Oops.
2: Yeah, i I like the character of Chaos and his um, and his sort of mentor-ish. Well, not necessarily mentor, but just like he sees the potential in Tepe to fight the Machine Empire, and he's not necessarily training him to be able to do it, but he's kind of giving him the advice to be able to activate X's full power. And I like that, in um, in that particular story arc, and Jason Marnocha also did a really great job as his beat, um, basically just trying to match the energy of X, and like it, it, it was really good. Unfortunately, like like a lot of the one-off characters in this segment, like there's not really that much to say. Um. I also really like um, Justin Brenner just being a little gremlin throughout the episode he was in. And, um... You know, it's, it's like the classic 90s sort of crack-the-whip-get-back-to-work kind of bad guy. Yep. Um... Unfortunately, there's not much to say about Chris Rager here just because, like, nearly all of his lines and dialogue is just grunting, so... But I think he did a good job with Took that, to that, Took him an hour
1: to finish that. Took him bit hour to finish that entirely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, getting right into it. Uh, Bruce Carey's Chaos. I, I'm slightly familiar with Bruce Carey's work because... He's uh, the narrator in level E, Level E was like one of my favorite shows back in the day. So getting to hear him playing old man was kinda pretty neat. And uh Jason Bonoka's Lamore after coming off of Hells. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a... I I I mean it was very good. It's, his range is i I've not I've not gotten used to his rage yet, but these two did a very good job, and of course, like I said earlier, once the donor dies, so does the beat, and we kind of get to see an example of that through this arc. Chris Vega's amigo, as I stated, there wasn't much to, as we both all stated, there wasn't much to him. In the commentary, he said it took like an hour just to, feel, just to record all his lines, so... If I have a call, I think I saw a box out of Neo. He might come back. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But, of course, the standout here is just about his Marcello. Because, well, for one thing... Yeah, I couldn't recognize him either at first. But, man, the way he portrayed him, like, you can hear his voice more and more. You just, you just can't believe that's Steku. You know, it's like... It's like if... It's like Luck Vulture is the descendant of Marcello. The way Marcello just be cracking that whip while be starting something. Plus, that whip kind of hurts. It's shocking, you know? But, you know, everybody did a very good job here. I really hope we get to see more of Marcello and Amigo and Neo. Yeah, we're not going to see the other two ever again, so... Alright, so now we're back on track if we've gotten close to the area, but unfortunately, there's a force field guard again. That force field will destroy anything and everything it touches, right down to the millimeter. Like, if even if an ant touches that shield, it will destroy it. And that shield is controlled by a juggler, a clown like server of the Machine Empire, the Machine Emperor in this case. And uh, ooh man, I think there was some interesting backstory on him. We found out one day. Yeah, you met Baba. <laughs> and we also, in, in part of that, we also have one. Believe it or not, one of the seven demon generals. How how about how many specialty groups are there? You got the seven demon generals, but only one of them is covered in the show. That is Muslim, and his beat Hydra beat the Hydra and who control the who cover uh, uh, who protect the area from intruders of course. Of course in Mislip's case he has an extra power too. He commands a cyber whip by his left hand. Thank God it's not his right hand. <laughs> Is yes his cyber whip also shares the same power as Lelania, and that, once it is destroyed, it has the power of regeneration. If you know the story of the Hydra, when you cut off the beast's head, it grows back instantly. It's pretty much something along those lines. It can also spew out a a poisonous breath that turns anything it touches into sand. So, Mislim is played by Curtis Ardot, a.k.a. I think it's Takahata 101? I think so. Yeah, yeah, Takahata 101. Lelania is played by Alex Moore. Cyber Whip is also played by Alex Moore. And Juggler is played by Mike McFarlett. All right, Armand? Clowns. God damn it.
0: <laughs> you know what? I was surprised. I was not expecting evil clowns in my robot fighting show, <laughs> but here we are. Oh, well. Um, No, Mike was a lot of fun as this. This is another character uh, that is basically a license for the actor to just get really silly. Uh, And I I liked Mike a lot because, like, if you're going to play an evil clown in a robot show, why should you take it too seriously, you know? Yeah, just, I... (laughs) I'd almost forgotten this character existed, actually. I thought I'd imagine that, but no. No. There's a clown. Uh, <laughs> Mike's, I mean, Mike is a lot of fun as him. I, I, I enjoyed his performance a lot. Uh, and I, I, I really enjoyed Curtis and Alex as uh, Melissa and Bl- uh, Lanya and Cyberway, respectively. Um, they were just both really delightfully extra. <laughs> they were a lot... <laughs> They were they're they're not the most over the top characters in the show. Obviously, cause there's a lot of competition, but they were they were very enjoyably like big and excessive uh, while they're on screen, and they're they were just a deli- they're a delight to watch. Just good, good fun one shot characters. They very much they very much fit the mold of a lot of the good one shot characters. They're big, they're memorable, and even if they don't stick around for a long time, you're not gonna forget them anytime soon. I was very happy with it.
1: Uh, oops
2: yeah um largely going to agree with Amon on uh, on juggler it's it's basically just the bad guy clown and Mike McFarlane gets to play around with him so much and it's wonderful I I don't remember though um did juggler actually have like a moving mouth or is it was it a mask
1: Uh, at the very least, from what I can tell, it's a mask, because I know his mouth didn't move out, but I don't know if that was, like, actually his face or anything. Just... Okay.
2: Like, I... I like characters that, like, wear masks or their mouth don't move doesn't move, because um, it gives the actor a little more creativity to add, like, a little more punch to those scenes, and, like... Mike McFarlane, just as an actor has a tendency to chew scenery, so it's a wonderful combination. Um, unfortunately, like I don't remember enough of Misslem and Lalena to like accurately. You know, this is this was great. This is you know, this is terrible. It's, um, it's one of those enemy beats that just shows up for like an episode or two and just acts as a brick wall for Tepe. Um, I do like that, um, the, um, the team four star people were brought in for various smaller roles in the show. And, um, I do remember that, um, Alex Moore's role as Elena was basically just sadistic laughter. That's, Good, that's fine. So, yeah, I I like the performances, even if the characters themselves weren't particularly memorable.
1: All uh, right, so, yeah, I, I like I said, I haven't watched the British stuff, so I'm not too familiar with Takahata. But him, Miss Miss Loop, sounded kind of pretty interesting, sounded kind of pretty good. It's like what I like to call the Alejandro sound effect, where some some actors will kind of sound like in similar tones to him. At times, I know I had that problem with Stephen Fu once upon a time, but I thought he did very well playing uh, a guy who has pretty much snakes in his hair. Because Jesus Christ, the way he, the way Muslim's hair just moves, it's like a Medusa kind of effect. Not to mention like how he like ups his weapon with his own blood. That was <laughs> <laughs> ooh, boy. Uh Lelegia Cyber Whip. I I would admit I'm not the biggest x more fan, but but when I get to hear it play against the norm kind of, it's always impressive. Cause hearing her do a, a shrieking kind of voice it's like Wow. Where where if this wasn't a if this wasn't the 90 show and you heard that today? Some people would kind of find it irritating. Some people would have a little trouble with it. It would be good nonetheless, but it'd be kind of irritating. For this show, however, it was very impressive. And uh, juggler and uh, Mike McFarland is juggler. Holy shit! I get to talk about Mike McFarland. And no quintessential quintuplets does not count. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm familiar with his voice though sometimes it it can kind of interchange with one other actor we'll get to talk about later, but I feel he had to, he enjoyed, like, some of that happy he had to give for juggler, because, for one thing, I do know juggler shows up in Neo again, and, uh, if you excuse me for a second, I'm trying to look something up here on Twitter, because I think I saw something about juggler the other day. Come on, August.
0: Is it is it the revelation of his origin that's in the manga?
1: Yeah, look it up on Borusa's Twitter. I I have uh, it I so...
0: have it here. Roots, would you, hmm. do you know why juggler is clown themed? Why is juggler clown themed? Uh, because his face looks like a clown's face. He was just born that way. Like not not <laughs> not not like not like the mask. Just like he has a big red nose and comically large lit. Like he looks like he has clown makeup on, but just normal. <laughs> That's what his face looks like. <laughs> Look, the I will I will talk about the VDEX manga briefly, like in final thoughts or something. But it is, it is clearly the wildest shit ever.
1: Ah <laughs> uh, yeah, if only Tokyo Pop didn't get the bar. <sighs> but hey, but yeah, I think everybody did a pretty good job here. I think. We're ready to get to the bigger sections now, starting with our uh, Spiritual Guardians of the Earth. There are four of them, however, technically one group we will talk about that at last for obvious reasons. So for our Spiritual Guardians, we have Spiritual Guardian of the East, Rod, voiced by Ian Sinclair, and his beat Rhino, the Dragon, voiced by Marcus D. Stimmick. To the north, we have Spiritual Guardian Hokuto, voiced by Christopher Bevins, and his beat Max the Turtle, voiced by Claudine Harp. And to the south, we have Foley Fiend, voiced by J. Michael Tatum, and his beat Shatam the Phoenix, voiced by Tia Ballard. So, Amar, go ahead. Oh boy, where to start?
0: Um, I'm going to start with Hakuto. Uh, and Max because I, enjoy, I enjoyed them but I have relatively less to say about them uh, they're both great uh, I, I enjoyed Christopher Bevins' Hakuto a lot he, he plays the kind of like cool, calm, but still kind of a mad scientist guy really, really well um, he's just I, I, like, I, I, was, I tend to associate Bevins with more slightly out there characters for whatever reason but uh, he, like, he is good at playing kind of more not quite authority figures but kind of like the people who know what's going on uh, and I thought this this salt this this cat came out really well in this performance. Uh, I thought Clarine did a really good uh, enjoy enjoyed his Max, so I don't think spoke too too often. If memory serves, um, he's mostly just a big turtle that flies around and sometimes is under the ground. Um, but I thought they were both like really good strong performances for the characters. Um, who next? Uh, I, like in turn, I thought I really enjoyed. Um, Tatum and Tia Ballard as phone Jatem. Uh, mostly because like I think this is a perfect role for Tatum. like Tatum excels at playing like morally nebulous fops and pretty people like there, there's a reason for a lot of people like uh, Sebastian from Black Butler is like the Tatum role for them like he's good at like and this isn't like Sebastian per se. Uh, but he's very good at having that sort of, like, I am very cultured and suave and maybe not evil, but I don't work for good people, and I am going to kick your ass, and please stop hanging around my war orphans, please. They have enough problems to begin with. Um, he's just a lot of fun is that, and I really enjoy his his and uh, Tia's performance together. I think Faux and Jitem, uh, as far as, like, kind of, beaten uh beat person uh i think like their relationship is one of the more interesting ones like i think they just play off each other really really well like you can you can really get the sense of camaraderie between these uh two um you can tell like they are they are important to each other um really in a way i think like in terms of show is only really outmatched by like tepe and x because like they're the main characters obviously um they just like they're 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 just always they're just really fun to be around uh and i'm looking very forward to seeing uh seeing them again in uh Beat X Neo when I get around to watching that because I know they're gonna go kick some ass at all indications. Um but let's talk about the standout of this section which is Ian Sinclair making uh Bruce Lee noises. <laughs> a lot of Bruce Lee noises Has has Woo. has anyone had as much fun in a booth as Ian Sinclair? <laughs> in the comment the commentary they joke about this, it's like shows like, hey, did you know Ron is Chinese? <laughs> I bet you didn't know Ron was Chinese. So you so you really know he's Chinese. We're gonna put it we're gonna give him this you know, stereotypical Chinese outfit. And he's gonna yell like he's Bruce Lee a lot. And Ian has so much fun with this um like and it's a good it's a good performance outside of that i think he real like uh ron's shtick is very much he's like you know the serious warrior who has morals and principles like he is he's the guy who like when he kind of realizes like what exactly the machine pyre is up to it's like i don't want any part in this this is bad you're bad i'm leaving good day um like it's a good strong performance but he 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 is having so much fun yelling all the time (laughs) um i don't anytime. any time mark mark systemic is in anything hi mark I'm glad you were cast in this. Um, he's also like he's also a lot of fun. Like these are just a, a two fun pairs of characters because they are they are very they're very stern characters who do very silly things, and I am always a sucker for that. Um, I don't I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite performance in the show just because this is this is a very even quality show. I don't know what I would pick as a standout performance unless I really really had to. But it is he is always a blast. I'm so happy he got cast in this. I'm so happy this dub got delayed long enough that Ian Sinclair could enter the industry so he could get cast in this. <laughs> it's great. So, no, I don't think he was working when this was originally being dubbed. Either way, I'm really happy by this decision. He is so fun here. Uh, it's so good.
2: Okay. Um, I I guess I'll start with uh, Ron and Rido. Um, I... I do really enjoy the sort of, uh... The the Bruce Lee noises he makes when he fights. And, um... I just love how Ian Sinclair plays him so stoically. And, like... He's the one with actual, visible principles from the very beginning. From the first time you meet him. They may not be the right principles at first, but they're there. Uh... And, like Amon said, Marcus D. Stimmick in, like, anything is a good thing. Cast Marcus Stimmick more. Um, I I really like um, Clarion Harp playing a giant underground turtle that can fly sometimes. Like, that is a thing that I hope she puts on her resume. <laughs> Actor. Underground turtle that flies sometimes. Uh, like, really, not much to say about Beatmax, though, because uh, all all Clearing Harp really does as the is basically, like, gives status reports on things and, like, talk matter-of-factly, which, it, it was fine, it was good. Uh, Christopher Bevins is sort of the haughty, arrogant scientist in the uh, ho-hoing, ki way, but competent. It's great. It, I I loved it. I loved how he basically toyed with Tepe like uh, like a puppet on a string. It's it's wonderful. And Tatum basically playing the most Tatum role to ever Tatum in the history of Tatum, yeah. <laughs> like this is, I saw the character design in the um, in the previews, and I hadn't read up on the on the cast list as I was um, watching through this for the for the episode. Uh, and I'm like, yep, that's a Tatum character but he he plays it with such charisma and a little bit of a foppishness but not really it's not overpowering which i i really like and uh tia Ballard as a giant red bird that screams and like it, it it's attacks are all screaming and it shuts down a beats um Sensors and and blows them up. It's it's great. And she gets a bunch of like um, like it, 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 it's hard to describe. It's um she gets to talk like a shonen like one of the shonen protagonists on the side. You know his power level is such and such. Like, like, it's great. It's, it's kind of a hard to describe great, but I I liked all these performances. They were good. Thumbs up.
1: Hey, so, let's start with the East. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, and Sinclair is probably the happiest out of all the them. It's wide. Yeah, Yay. I didn't think about Bruce Lee for a second. I should, probably should have, because I'm like a really big martial arts fan. But. Getting to see Rod and uh, foe battle each other was always impressive. And I think he did a pretty good job, you know, defining the man's characters, principles, and whatnot. Uh, of course, right, I wish Marcus got to speak more, and so does the crew, apparently. According to the commentaries, but Marcus is always impressive. I, I, I can't really think... I don't think Marcus has ever to that bad performance in the time we've known him. Like he's always impressive when he's on screen. He just needs to be on screen more. I don't know I don't know why not. I mean can you think of any reasons? Hmm.
2: Uh hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Going north. First off, holy shit, I get to talk about Chris Bevins and Clarine Harp. Wow. Uh, Chris Bevins is Hulk, though. Uh, I can always pick out Chris Bevins easily in an anime. To the point I even had to argue with Andrew one time about dumbbells, but that's a different story. So I know there have been times sometimes where he has a similar nasality to Mike McFarlane, so I can understand, like, how it the two can be confusing at points, but Chris Bervin's I can always pick out of a lineup. And he did a very good job as playing Hokuto, the Master Doctor. To which, you can tell this is kind of 90s because when you look at some of the characters' faces up close, especially Hokuto's, he either looks like he has the bumps or he has something in his cheeks. You know? When to- as soon as they're talking. Hey, this is what it is. And Clarine Harper's Max. Clarine Harper's a deeper voice. I'm, i I'm, pre- I'm pretty familiar with her range, even if there isn't that much. Because, and I brought this up earlier with a, with a Detective Code, because one of the things about Marissa's casting is that she, t- for this dub in particular, she wanted to get some cast, to get some actors that were like. Mostly specific to the 90s, but the closest thing I can think of to Clarine Hobb in the 90s. Closest thing is a uh, burst angel which she played Say. And Say was kind of studious, kind of observant, but of course she was uh, on the uh, wrong side of the law. Kind of like Max with the Machine Empire. Yeah, they're both very, very analytic, very studious, and Clarine, the great job portraying that. But of course, the standout here is, uh, Foge because, J. Michael Tatum, you know, Tatum gold Tatum. <laughs> but, and the thing about this too, because we saw it on the commentary, Jeremy, specifically asked for Tatum, because, he said that Tatum's the most foppish person he knows, and, it really does show, his character. Of course, Fobe turning traitor after defying the machine empire. Yes, this is the traitor I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. I would admit, because... I would admit, one of my favorite lines in this show kind of came from him, because it demonstrates how much of a 90s bad guy he is. Uh, when he meets Tepe, and he hands him the the flask of water, he says, Now drink up and die. I have a bunch of war orphans waiting for me to grab the Imperial Doctrine down their throats. That was like... Yeah, yeah, that's so 90s bad guy, like always expositioning themselves. But, Tia did a very good job, and hearing Tia is the bird. <laughs> it's very off the beaten path of what you hear Tia normally ask, Because, you know, T is always usually the upbeat kind of person, peppy kind of person somebody's played bad guy turned neutral I guess with that kind of power of Sonic I guess Sonic disabling TNT did a very good job I guess as we get get on to more of the characters harder and harder you can't really pick a standout among all of them really everybody just did a very good job now, uh, since we got the Spiritual Guardians, of course, we got, have, like, some kind of enforcer, really. We have an enforcer for the Machine Empire, uh, Metal Face, and his B-Dex Madonna, the... Shit, I didn't look up what Madonna was. Give me a second.
2: Um, I want to say it looked kind of like a griffin.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's what it was, but let me see. <laughs> It's Beat Madonna the Triceratops, according what? to TV tropes.
0: Is it? <laughs> is
2: it, though? I'm not surprised, but wow.
1: <laughs> look, yeah, this this is a 90s show. Looking back on it, it does look like a Triceratops if you ever see Power Rangers. Yeah,
0: no, you're not. Man, five-year-old me would have loved this show. <laughs> Just absolutely adored it. No wonder I like this so much.
1: Yeah. So pretty much, Metal Face, uh, in his efforts to prove his loyalty to the Machine Empire, his body is mostly cybernetic. And, uh, and, uh, apparently he was a uh, part of, a uh, Karen's exile, in which, uh, she battled for feed, and he kind of let her escape. With, not before being near death though. And, and Merylface, witnessing this attack, decided to punish Foe by having him demoted. Not only did he get Foe demoted, but uh, he pretty much vows to kill his enemies, whether they may be, especially Tepe, who he almost killed in search for Karen. To the point he realized uh, he ended up encountering him again in five years. Whereas once upon battling him in the junkyard, he causes his injuries to, to the point Tepe's blood accidentally revives X. Playing these two, we have for Face we have Tyson Rihard. And for Madonna, we have Rachel Rigg, a.k.a. Rachel Robinson. So I'll go out ahead.
0: Rarely do you get to talk about show where a character named Metal Face pals around with a robotic Triceratops, <laughs> but I'm glad we get to. <laughs> I, I want I want to make it, his name is Metal Face. Your argument is invalid. Let's make that a meme, guys. Um. But I, I I like Tyson as Metal Face a lot. He he's he's a really good like '90s action villain. Uh, he's like su- he's like super ambitious. He's really petty. He's very much into it for himself, and he ends up causing a lot of his own problems because he's he's not stupid, but he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Um. I thought Dyson was he was just excellent. Like he, he's he's definitely one of those characters that like brought me back to watching stuff like Power Rangers and Ronin Warriors when I was a kid. Uh just like just really on point. Uh just very like just a really strong performance for this kind of character. Um Oh, what else? Uh, Rachel Rigg was also like I liked her as Madonna. Um I'm Trying to Trying to be more, looks more salient. I'm trouble remembering stuff Madonna did, unfortunately, because uh, I got getting distracted by the robot guy with a faceplate glued to his face. Um, but I, liked, I did like her performance. I thought she did, she did it like she did another good job as one of these beats, you know, kicking around, playing off, playing off Tyson very well. Um, they're just, they're just good antagonists. Uh, they're, they're, they're alive at the end of the series, right? I didn't, I didn't yeah. imagine that. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely yeah. hope they, they, come back. I hope they, they play a significant role in Neo because they're, they're just, they're fun antagonists to have around. They're, they're just, they're, they're a hoot. I like them.
2: Yeah, so, um, like, like Ammon said, we get to talk about a character named Metal Face today, who rides on a robotic Triceratops. The '90s. It was a time. Uh, but I. Yep. I'm sorry.
1: I just agree with you. Okay.
2: Um, I I love Tyson Reinhardt's performance. Is basically basically could be summed up as a brick wall. He is the force trying hardest to stop Tepe from. Reaching the center of the Machine Empire and rescuing his brother. He, um... Brute Force is basically his plan A, his plan B, and if all else fails, his plan C. He doesn't think of anything but Brute Force. And beating any opponent he has, Sensels. Uh, this through the course of the show, has usually ended up poorly. Which is an understatement, but... Uh... I, I love how... just 90s nasty Tyson Reinhardt plays him. He's just the absolute worst. Nobody wants to really deal with him. It's... It's great. And, uh, Rachel Rigg as his beat. Um... She doesn't get to do too, too much, even though she's kind of a prominent character alongside of Metal Face. But, um, she does work really well off of him. And, yeah, uh, these two were pretty good and pretty solid. So, thumbs up.
1: Hey, so starting with Retro Vegas Madonna, you know right, she doesn't get to do too much. She she's pretty much there to provide support for Metalface. To the point that when uh Metal Face meets up with Karen again at uh Tepe's uh treehouse, I guess we'll call it. Uh he's near death at one point and she rescues him. And Metal Face just asks why, because if if you die then I'm nothing without you or something along those lines. Which again, as I stated, once a donor dies the beat is pretty much useless but Rachel did a very good job, and I was kind of impressed, like, because I, because uh, I don't get to talk about Rachel Robinson much in anime, especially now that she's gone out to LA, too, but for what it's worth, Rachel did a very good job. Tyson Reinhardt! <laughs> oh man, I never, because I've, I've heard Tyson's voice before, but, Watching him as Mel Face, it must be a treat for him because I see now why actors like to play the bad guy sometimes because you get to do things like this and it's just very rewarding. Tyson did a very good job and I will admit because a couple of my favorites bloopers on the blooper reel kind of came from him to the point he had to be, he's probably the most censored person on that blooper reel. Oh
2: boy. <laughs>
1: I wish I could recall it for you, but it's 11 a.m. right now. <laughs> I I, I would say this like I want I want to know where this character goes next to Neo because if it keeps along the same path, I, I really think Tyson does have a penchant for the bad guys very easily. I was gonna make a joke, but I'm not bringing that moment up. These two did a very good job. I'll, I'll tell you after recording. Well, speaking of bad guys, let's get into some more. Now, now we're we'll getting to the big guns here. Getting into the heart of the Machine Empire. We have Misha, we have Nasha, and we have Major Erebus. Now, Misha is a servant to the Machine Emperor, as far as I can tell, who had, who, had, who has a... The gift of power is bestowed upon him. I don't know. As far as I can tell, he can make he can make somebody's head explode. I don't know what other abilities he has yet. But all I know is his one his one purpose in life is to save the life of his sister Misha, who suffered from I don't know. I guess a curable disease to the point that it requires flowers from uh, Camilla's garden. To be harvested. I, I kind of said. From Koto's perspective too. That she might have a power as well. Because he's seeing imaginary flowers. He says the flowers. He does not recognize. So maybe that could be it. But we don't know. And then we have Major Aramis, Who was a part of Karen's exile. Five years ago. Has learned the truth. About the beat Raffaello. To the point that. He kidnapped Kotaro at the press conference. He was at and killed ten thousand members of the scientific community just to get him. So it's kind of like uh, what was that one movie with the assassins? Uh, Kill one, save a
0: thousand.
1: Hmm. The one where they can bend bullets. Oh, wanted. Yes, yeah, so it was like wanted, but backwards. <laughs> So over the course of the show, you realize you're trying to help Kotaro in secret because, you know, Machine Empires pretty much has something else in mind. And I think she kind of has an affinity for Kotaro in a few points, too. Especially looking at the character design. Character design looks like an M. Bison reject, let's be honest. Which is fine because I break that up for one particular reason. But playing these three... Misha is voiced by Alan St. Victor, and is voiced by Natalie Hoover, and Elvis uh, is voiced by Caitlin Glass. Hey, how about?
0: Where to start? Um, I'll start with Nasha. who uh, I did I did like Natalie Hoover's performance, though Nasha has relatively less to do since she is
1: since she's cold. Yeah, exactly, she is not she
0: doesn't talk a lot. Um, but I, I did like her performance when she did get to talk. I thought she she did a good, like young child voice. Um, I this is another character who I, I I hope has a slightly larger role in the future because I like to hear I like Natalie Hoover. I like to hear more of her in these dubs. Um, Considering
1: mm-hmm. considering Misha's purpose, I don't think it would be too far off. But I'd have to get Neo to figure yeah, that out. Yeah, me too. Um,
0: speaking speaking of Misha, I I, I loved Allison as Misha. Um, I'm like I I I've heard Allison play plenty of like um, young boys and various things you know wolf children Rabihachi, what have you I don't think I've heard her play this one one this evil and conniving, <laughs> and it was kind of great. Um, she just sells really well that like M- like Misha has all this power he is in charge, but he's a child. Like it's 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 very yeah like, it's very it's very much the feeling of that. Um, that Twilight Zone episode where there's the kid who can like cont- basically like is God but he's a six- year old. Uh, so like if you piss him off he'll like he'll send you to the cornfield and he's not really old enough to understand what he's doing but he can do it and that makes it terrifying. And Misha has a lot of that flavor to him like he has way more power at his disposal than he really should given like how old he is and uh, who he answers to which appears to be no one. Uh, so that's upsetting. Uh, and I think I just Allison's just really fun here. I think she does a wonderful job of like selling that, uh, and uh, just making him see, like feel very menacing, even though he looks like he can't. He's probably not even ten years old. Um, but there, and she and she also sells him on like he, he has slightly lighter moments where he's concerned about Nasha, which I think she also she also does very well. Uh, even if the fun part is her like hassling Katara with endless piles of toys and so on um and uh, i i also really enjoy caitlin as uh, aramis uh, just because she's very she's very like regal and british sounding and very like very very much like the person in charge who's trying to both rein in this overpowered child and generally keep things going on track even though nothing wants to go on track um she, 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 it was very it was very good authority just good good authority figure vibe um, you're not. You're not wrong. She does look a lot. She does dress like M Bison, doesn't she? <laughs> I hadn't. I hadn't thought of that. Her wardrobe looked familiar, and I couldn't figure out why. And nope, it's, it's that M Bison red hat and outfit. Um. Yeah. Um. She's just. She was just good at like kind of playing the playing the character in kind of the more like you know sort of overt like, I'm the bad guy ways, but also much. Uh, also, I thought I unveiled a lot of the aspects that are much more like. I'm trying to make all this work. Uh, even though... Everything happening seems to be conspiring against me. Uh, to the point where even my stupid underlings underground won't actually do what I tell them to. Because they're so tripped up on being an asshole. <laughs> they can't even do their job. Um, no, I enjoyed it a lot. The good performances all around.
1: Okay. Uh, oops.
2: Um. Yeah... Unfortunately, I don't have, like, anything to say about Natalie Hoover's Nasha just because she really doesn't get to speak, like, outside of maybe, like, a flashback or two. Um, so, unfortunately, it's been a little bit since I actually watched the episodes. This was supposed to record, like, a week ago. Um, yeah, and um, Allison Victorin's uh, Misha... I just love how much of a conniving spoiled brat she gets to play. Like he, he thinks he's in control of everything, uh, while unpredictably there's a giant monster directly under him that will probably devour him if given the chance. Um, I I love the scene where he's first introduced uh, when Kotaro's walking through his uh, his playroom. And he just gets hit by all these toys launching live ammunition at him. Like, that really set the tone for the character when he finally appeared a few minutes later. Um. I just love the fact that he gets kind of pissed off when people confuse him for the, uh, Machine Emperor. It's it's great. Like, nice and hammy. And, um... In that same sense, uh... Caitlin Glass's Aramis is much the same way. Um oof. Uh, the British yeah. accent is like that right level of nineties hokiness. That um, you know, it's uh, trying to find words to describe it. It's um you know Anime directors in the '90s just like, oh yeah, go ahead and use that British accent; it'll be fine. And it's like not spot on, but it's just passable enough. Um, and I'm I don't intend this as like an insult because it it feels intentional. So um, I I loved it because it worked with the character. Um, Usually I'm not a fan of um, Voice actors doing accents Unless they can really pull it off Because it Like it can go very wrong very quick Um, But yeah Overall I like these three I like the um, Just the general sense of charisma Misha and Aramis both kind of Gave off even though Their plans are Rapidly going up in smoke Because of misha's arrogance like it's great i love like conniving villains who undercut their own strategy just because they don't realize it's probably not gonna work like you think it will
1: hey it's uh hoover's dasher yeah, she ain't get much to do, cause of course she's comatose. But Natalie's got Natalie, and Natalie sounded very good as Nasha. Sure. Misha and acid victory. Victorin." Remember how I brought Detective Coded earlier, and I said that uh, with Marissa's casting, she was specifically scouting '90s actors and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going with this here, Aha! right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, so I had the hunch as soon as I heard that. I said to myself, yeah, this definitely does kind of remind me of uh, according and the Gallo for what little I've seen of Case Closed. But Allison does a very good job pulling that off. And of course, it's always a delight to hear Allison because like Brittany Karbaski, she has one tone of voice, but she manages to spin it into a variety of performances because this is actually her natural voice, if you can believe it. And, uh, Erebus, Aramis... I'm not going to lie to you, when I first saw Erebus, I kind of had a GG moment. I was like, Erebus could step me, man, like. <laughs> 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 because, for one thing, the way the characters portrayed in that British accent, it reminded me so much of Cammy from Street Fighter. To which not only was Cabby my because uh, we because people did that video game crush thing on Twitter, Cabby was my video game crush, but also on top of that, I found out speaking to Caitlin Glass at Supercard earlier this year that that was the reason she was cast as Erebus because Jimmy liked her so much in Street Fighter, and I can see why too. Jimmy's a bad coach because Cabby. Because Cammy has that something extra that Caitlyn, that she, that uh, Caitlyn gives her in Street Fighter to which it's kind of reciprocated here, and I like Caitlyn Glass doing the British accent because to me, out of all the people I've heard do British accents, I think Caitlyn's is the one who's most authentic. Because not only can she like do like Victorian style, like uh, a Caesar Black Butler, we won't name because apparently not a lot of people liked it also in also in the Street Fighter because it's, it's not as regal it is formal yes but it's not as regal but it's very with the times and Caitlin manages to portray that very well and that's pretty much all I have to say I mean um, I know we said it's hard to pick a standout from all these characters but I will say Caitlin Glass was, like, at the top of the list for me. Uh, you know, as we move on, you know, mm-hmm. with well, every bad guy just got to be good guys. And some in between. So, our next section, we have the Black Knights, and we have Tepe's older brother, Koto Takamiya. Now, the Black Knight, he kind of learned... Yeah, let's get out. this right off the bat. He's actually carried in disguise. After Tepe saved her when she, he was young, she took up residence in his treehouse to help to help figure out a way to not only stop uh, Raffaello, but to help her to help with the advances in Tepe not only in Tepe's training, but on the side develop some machinery as well to help combat the Machine Empire in its way ra- in its way towards destruction eventually. She develops a suit of armor at her own beat, which will be the beat will be covered in Neo if we do if we're gonna do an episode on like that, It's anybody's guess. Probably not, but but yeah, you see her show up in the I wanna say it was episode sixteen or seventeen. I, I just re watched it again. It was during the uh arc with the Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's at that point it's at that point you learn it's Carried uh, in disguise. Of course the show kinda is is a bit subtle about it, but you still notice it. And Koto Takumi is a world famous science world famous scientist to professor who developed a theory on, a, on of a, f, developed a similar process of free thinking arbitrage that went out oil. Only to find out the Machine Empire secretly covered in his technology in order to make beats, was mainly kidnapped for his intellect and help in finding a way to help defeat Raffaello. Once there, he inadvertently angered the Machine Emperor's underling, I guess, and was sent to the other hell where he met up with Dr. Nitsen, who gave him the formulas and schematics that he obtained in secret in order to defeat Raffaello. Ever since then, he been working out a way to combat it. Only to find out the the solution to all of that, which we'll get to later on. But playing these two, if Black Knight is caring, it could only be that Black Knight is played by Morgan LeRae. And Cotero is played by Josh Greeley. And before anybody asks, yes, the Morgan gang, you know it is long God, Long live Morgan LeRae. I see my attempted dark humor, Scott. I see my attempted dark humor, Scott. I this. Please do not act. I- all right.
0: Um Let's start. Like I, I like, I liked Morgan as the Black Knight. Uh, like well, all the things I was saying about her as Karen still stand. Uh, she, she, gave, she just gave a good performance, and I thought she she very much. This is very much kind of like. On Power Rangers, when a new ranger would show up, and it'd be a big mystery. Who is this person? And there's a lot of mystique around them. And I thought Morgan captured that during the Black Knight one but prior to us knowing who it actually is. Um, I'm sure if you're better than me at picking out voices, you could probably take a guess. I think even I took a state guess. It's like, hmm, who could this be? Um, I, I enjoyed her a lot in this performance. I thought, that, nothing else, she got to be more in the show, which is always a plus. Uh, and I thought she just, she did really well as this, like, cool mysterious action person why are they here what are they doing um i'd also enjoyed i enjoyed josh's guitar a lot i thought uh once again once again this is one of these performances where obviously josh is a relatively newer voice actor he was not acting in 90s dubs uh but he nails the tone of it so very well um i think he just he fits his character very well um especially because i feel like uh kotaro often um we learn a lot of exposition either through kotaro or from people explaining things to him and uh, I think he handles a lot of that really well. Uh, even if it's just, like, sitting in a dank cave, carving out formulas on the wall with, like, a stick or a broken fork. I forget what exactly.
1: Uh, it, was it was a, a fork. fork. Um, he had a drill before that's right.
0: though. <laughs> the drill broke, and he had to use a fork. Um, he, he, he did a good job playing this very, like... Uh, you know, he, he's well-meaning, you can see all what he's, what's happening is wrong, but he can't really do anything about it because there's a machine empire uh, keeping him uh, blocked away. And he, a good, he gave, a, it gave a good performance. I liked it a lot. It was very, it, it fit very, both these words I thought fit the very 90s-ness of this dub that I think makes it work so well. And I think they both uh, very much help bring that and keep that. Uh, and I think, you know, it was a big benefit to the dub as a whole. I liked him a lot.
2: okay um, oops I I really liked um, the sort of mysterious nature of Morgan Lo black Knight I mean let's be real it it's um, it, it's an extension of the character of Karen so yeah there's that um, basically the my opinions on Karen as a character also apply here but I also add the little air of cool mysteriousness that, you know, a masked character kind of gives. So, there's that. Um, Josh Greeley's Kotaro. Like Amon said, um, Josh Greeley probably wasn't acting around the time um B-Dex was starting to make the rounds. Um, like, I would imagine he had started around the time Uh, the first dub was commissioned, but, you know. Uh, splitting hairs here. Uh, he felt like he naturally fit in. And, um, he gave it sort of the, that 90s cheese that sort of the good guy scientist character would get. in like, um, I feel like the, um, uh... Doctor White in Mega Man, sort of that vibe. Mm. Um, he's very clearly smart, very clearly capable, and he also gets like great one-liners in the episode recaps at the beginning of um, every episode. He he gets so yeah, uh, really good all around.
1: Yeah, so starting with Morgan Lewis, the Black Knight. Like everybody else, my thoughts like care are still sad too, but the way she portrayed the Black Knight, it kind of gave like a... I was going to say it was like a Racer X kind of vibe from Speed Racer and then you bobbed the whole Mystique thing for Power Rangers, which actually makes much more sense. But I still stand by the Racer X comment if you've ever seen Speed Racer. No, that, that's, that's, uh, that's spo- still a
0: very good point of reference.
1: Yeah, spoilers for Speed Racer, <laughs> but... <laughs> Hope you saw Speed Racer already, guys. Yeah, so I'm curious to know what more is going to happen, especially since I saw the trailer for BDX Neo, and I know that uh, the Black X is existing, that the Black X X exists now, and I'm wondering where the the Black Knight is going to go from there, and how it's all going to end. And speaking of how, how it's all going to end, Josh is cultural. As I've said before in the Osha episode, Josh really can do no rock. However, this was kind of a different Josh because I, I don't really hear, obviously you don't hear me these kinds of shows often. I mean, and to answer your question, Roots, it was around 2004 when the ADV still existed. Okay. So. So hearing him in the in the night, hearing his nineties take on this dub, playing this, I guess this kind of MacGyverish character, what he said to the Josh did a pretty good job. And I'm curious to know where what's going to happen from here. You know, once we, once we get into Neo, because right now we found the solution, but is it going to we is it going to help us in, in the end? That, that is anybody's guess, but you know who is going to help us in the end, however. Our two main characters. Hey, segue. Yes, here we go now. We have Tepe Takamiya and his beat, the ex, the Kirin. Tepe Takamiya is pretty much Kotaro's little brother. Fights for justice, pretty much your typical 90s good guy. Possesses a few abilities of his own. Uh, of course, Breakard, which gets a little fireball. Uh, he possesses the Messiah Fist, which we learn towards the end is made out to beat Raffaella from a sample Karen obtained when uh, she went to rescue his sister, and uh, she took that sample, just made a, a pretty much a white glove for him, essentially. Could do all these cool things. Pretty much, right now, his only reason for fighting is to save his brother, of course. Good, good guy, all about. Good guy. He has a treehouse that's highly, highly technological. It's weird because at the beginning of his stories. Said to, he's living with a dairy farmer. Dairy farm his farm, while his brother goes off to become a super smart scientist. on Beijing, on Germany, I think. Yeah, typical nineties anime storyline kind of doesn't make sense. No, hey, you just you're roll there with for it. The ride. you just, you just roll with the punches. And X is a beat that was previously that had a uh, Karen is the d- previous donor. He's previously rented by Karen. One of the strongest beats to ever exist at the time. Up until about five years ago. Where you got where he was in the middle of a fight between foe and Metal Phase. After Karen sustained injuries, uh X ceased to exist for the time being up until he was revived by a Tepe's blood who, thanks to thanks to to his blood transfusion from Karen years ago is revived but does not see Tepe as his new donor. Believes to have been deceived, he goes off he goes off on his own until the two learn to work together. Basically, after a while the the bond strengthens and they gain new powers such as the Prism of oil, which is the five colored radiance. And a piece of the sun, which... Looking outside my window is cloudy as fuck right now. <laughs> hey, yep. but my God, do they shine ever so brightly. <laughs> Again, the story like... Actually, no, the piece of the sun thing kind of sort of makes sense to me. It's just, it's one of those things you'd have to study history to really understand. So I wish it kinda exist more than more than evolution, you know. Could probably cut that I off, anyway, but playing these two. Uh Tepe is played by Eric Vale, and X is played by our ADR director, Jeremy Inman. So for this final section, go on, Amon.
0: What a lineup. Uh Yeah, these these two. I I, I, I think I I think this show is very well cast in general. These are good performances beyond the board. But Eric and Jeremy, like they are the leads. They are the they're the performances that this whole dub uh, hangs around, and they are great. Eric is wonderful. He is. uh, If I'm if I if I'm correct, um, these two casting wise were the only major holdovers from the original attempted dubbing. Is correct?
2: Um, Eric, yes. Just Tepe.
0: Okay. Uh, well, that is—I completely understand why they kept Eric along because he is great here. Uh, He—this is just an excellent performance. He is—he's—he's just—he's fantastic, um, and not just in sense of, like oh, he sounds like very like '90s protagonist, which he does. Like he—he he excels at that, anyways. But he's just so good at playing this like very like you know tough, uh, kind of optimistic but a little worldly guy. Who you know? He gets into this big fight, and he's gonna—he wants to do the right thing, and he's gonna argue with this robot horse that he's came into possession of. <laughs> a lot of arguing with the robot horse. Um, He's—he's—he's just—I don't even know how to put it. It just—it sounds so good. Um, like it's—it's it's like, ah, oh, this is what Tepe should sound like. This is how he should behave. Um, like I can't think of a better performance than the one Eric gives here. For this character, it's just really fun. Especially, he's really fun with Jeremy. Um, Jeremy uh, plays X is so sort of cynical and seen it all. And who does this kid think he is? Who? Who are you? I remember who used to like. I remember who I used to be my partner with. You think you're as good as her? Nah, Bucko. Get in line. <laughs> um, and he's so he's so cynical, and they they, they argue so wonderfully early on. Starting kind of go going from that to like begrudgingly being pals because they have to, to actually being pals because they like, uh, you know, they have, they have repartee now. Like it gets it gets actually sad when Depe thinks that X might be dead. And he's like, X can't, you know, X can't be dead. He's he's my pal. We got to do this. Um, like it's just it's a good it's it's a really good set of performances both individually and together. Like I'm really happy that this is the like. Uh, this is these are the performances the show gets to be anchored on, because I think they're really strong. Um, I know if you listen to the commentary, uh, Jeremy Inman makes a very brief crack about his terrible acting skills, and I'm not sure how serious he's being, but if he actually thinks that poorly was acting, please do not. You're wonderful. You're wonderful in everything I've seen you in, and this is no exception. Um, yeah, I really, like, these are just two great performances. I absolutely love them from pretty much episode one, I think. They're great.
2: Nice. Um, so, I, um... I guess I'll start with Tepe as well. Um, I, I just love the, um... Shonen protagonist Pep that Eric Vale gives the character. Um... It's... It's just so good. It's so pure. It's... He just wants to beat all these people up so that he can save his brother. It's... It's great. Um one of the things I wanted to do before this episode was, um, hunt down a disc of the original IllumaToon dub just so that I could have a basic comparison for Eric's performance then and now, but unfortunately I wasn't able to procure one in time, so yeah. Um, I, um, he's just so arrogant and stubborn in the beginning and it's, it's just so good, it's Eh. And then, um, Jeremy Inman is X, um, one thing I particularly liked was, um, sort of the dynamic between the two sort of evolving and growing over the 25 episodes of the series. Um, cause, you know, as we've been saying, the two didn't like each other in the very first episodes of the series, and, um... X is very begrudging in accepting Tepe's help. And, um, he's very begrudging in helping Tepe with his quest as well until about, I want to say about halfway through. Where he just realizes, oh, yeah, you know, it may not be his blood directly, but he's my donor. So, you know what, I'm just going to roll with this. And, um... Over the course of the series, as he he gets damaged, pretty much dies, and then gets reborn. Like, it, it's shown that he grows to be devoted to Tepe and helping him out. Because it's also, he comes to realize it is the will of Karen that Tepe came to him. So, he's willing to accept it. He's willing to be friends. It's great. They're buddies. The word buddy is used an uncomfortable amount of times in that dub, and it just, it's great.
1: So 90s. <laughs> Alright then, so, starting with Ek. Uh, it's kind of funny we mentioned how he was a holdover from the original b Next dub, because this was, oddly enough, one of Jeremy Inman's first directing gigs, and, uh, I mean, next to Desert Punk, I mean, when he stated in the commentary when he was uh, picked to direct this, he immediately thought of Eric because of Desert Punk, and I can see why. Although content can be sometimes a bitch, but at least I can tolerate Tepe way more than him, though. Especially if you see how Desert Punk ends. But I thought Eric, Eric did a pretty good job playing this, playing this teenager. I mean, you don't get to hear him play teenagers as much. Older teenagers, maybe. Younger teenagers, uh, your mileage may vary, but. It was very good, very unique, and. Everybody showed his chops. Jeremy Inman's X, however. Or as the the bloopers like to call it, Jeremy (laughs) Bob (laughs) Dingley (laughs) Doy. Oh my god, those bloopers were fun. I forgot to mention, one of my favorite bloopers comes from Disc 1, and Eric's talking about the Messiah Fist. He says, yeah, the Messiah Fist can be used for fisting just about anything. And you can hear Jeremy Inman laughing in the background.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. I've only seen it for the uh, fifth.
1: Yeah, so I guess this is why he said that he's that he states that he's much better directed than a voice actor, but I do find Jeremy has his has his moments as an actor very well. Because watching X and seeing how he scrolled from a you know hate to hate this guy for deceiving him to respect him as kind of his equal, it was kind of pretty cool. It's like he, and like he stated in commentary, he was having a moment. I mean, pretty much we all were when we were watching X's growth from you know. Yeah, it's pretty much being destroyed, then he was rebuilt and I don't know, seeing Jeremy grow along with this character. I mean yeah, Jeremy been, he has the voice of a drug, but he does he uses that voice very well. And I I got I got nothing but praise for these two because and like I like I said earlier, we talked a lot about Nineties casting, of course. You know, the biggest 90s franchise these two came from is uh, Dragon Ball Z. So, it really kind of showed this stuff here. We kind of reflects upon that. And since we have time to reflect, that means it's time to move into Final Thoughts. So, what are your thoughts on this show, guys?
0: How do I put this? The show is amazing. And I'm so happy it's readily available in English. Um, this is a great show. It is it is an absolute delight. Uh, if you like if you like kind of like '90s style uh, like big fighty shonen stuff at all, you should do yourself a favor and check this out immediately. Um, the dub is on top of that just excellent across the board. I think it's a lot of fun. You can tell that everyone making it had a lot of fun and putting it together. I think it matches the material really really well. Um, it's really well directed, really well cast, really well localized. I can't, I, I can't sing its praises high enough. I this is some of the most fun I had watching anime this year. Period. Uh, it is weird that the best dub of nineteen ninety eight came out in two thousand seventeen, but or eighteen. When did this officially get released? It, eighteen. It is, it is weird that it came out in two thousand eighteen instead of 19, instead of twenty years earlier. But hey, I am not complaining because I got to watch it.
2: Alright, so um, I I largely agree with Amon, but on on another uh, kind of track, I don't want to jump the gun too much on this, but um, getting your hands on the dub is a little complicated as of right now. Um, so a large bulk of my final thoughts are going to be, you know, is it worth it to pay roughly $60 to own a DVD copy of this? Because at the moment other than a free preview on YouTube that is the only way you can get your hands on the dub um i would say that um it was definitely worth it for me uh without a doubt i am a huge fan of like the 90s cheese ball dubs um uh if that's not your thing, probably not worth that kind of money, but um, like, if you're in any way nostalgic toward the um, toward Fox Kids or Jetix or the um, sort of the off-brand Toonami blocks of the late 90s, early 2000s this is definitely worth it like, do yourself a favor do anime midstream a favor and pick yourself up a copy it's, it's great
1: Okay, so as for me, yeah, this was really impressive. It was a it was a throwback to watching a lot watching a lot of Tokusatsu and this kind of stuff back in my early years. You don't see a lot of anime like this anymore. I think as Marissa stated in the commentary, between nineties anime and present day anime, she she realizes that a lot of present day anime seems to be more of an advertisement for the manga with Back in the 90s, you know, like, you want to see everything happen while it was in motion, like, even the design and everything was very impressive. Because if you look at the anima- animation today, like, there are some animes that have good-looking animation and some that have bad, but in the 90s, you could not really discern one from the other. I, I I really like that that much. But through my notes... And with the dub, it's very solid casting. I like I like how South Cadence did the research, not only keeping everything one to one, uh because uh, some of because some of the actors that you're gonna hear in here, they were the old BDX dub, but it's different characters, and the South Cadence kept kind of kept that consistent. You know, repurposing them, but he kind of kept it consistent, played off on of everybody very well. And, this was a dub that was kind of like two years in the making. Like, they said, Mercer said that they had to do this on a tight deadline. What's funny was, I think this was kind of done, like, about the year, about the time, but yeah Nice was 2017, right? 2016.
2: Um, I want to say, um, God, that was one of the first of the uh, Funimation Crunchyrolls. So I want to say 2016.
1: Hold on, let me look it up real quick. Cause there is a point to this. Yep, it was. Yep, it was fall twenty sixteen. I say that because back when this show was first announced, it was uh, it was actually around the time the uh, Nabakas du- was Nabak was being assembled up or broadcast up, as they said back then. And I bring that up because what the what are the actors credited in the water? Is uh, Sam Biggs and he uh, voiced Tsukumo Su- 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 uh, the ninja in that bucket. So I I could tell immediately that, like, this project was a labor of love for everybody. Because, you know, I mean, even if they did have to do it on a tight deadline, you couldn't really tell. You would think that they did this over time, over those two years. But, you know, when, when you put in so much hard work that, like, you know, there's so much effort that goes. Into this. Not only licensing the show. But getting the chance to re-dub it too. It kind of gives me a a new perspective on things. On the dubbing process. And hell, I got even more new new perspectives on this. In another episode we'll talk about. But for right now. Everybody put their hearts on to this. Everybody gave it the love it deserved. And I'm glad a show like this is existed. Because... I have a confession to make, when this show first got announced, I wanted to do an episode on this, but my concern was who, what people would I, could I get to do this, because as you know, a lot of what we do here is, a lot of the episodes we cover mostly because of stuff we get, were able to stream. So when Marissa presented this opportunity to us, I jumped on it the first chance I got. And I'm glad I did and I'd like to thank you gentlemen for obliging me and I'd like to thank you Marissa for giving us this opportunity. There's a there's a reason I like a lot of the cases and stuff because a lot of South and stuff is really good work, really quality work. And if you wanna check out the quality work, you you can buy the DVD right now and write stuff. You can buy the DVD kind of right now and write stuff, or you can buy the DVD right now and write stuff.
2: <laughs> I mean, there is always the option of I... buying the DVD at write stuff.
1: It's true. Yes, and I say that because that's the only option you should be getting. The only option you should be getting is if you watch it anywhere else... You're pretty much Captain Hook, and I want nothing um, to do with There it.
2: is a little three-episode preview of the dub I, on TMS's YouTube, though.
1: I was okay. about to get to that, but thank you, Roots. <laughs> yes, as you say, it's on TMS's YouTube channel. If you're hesitant to buy it at first, I would check out those episodes before you do that. Because, you know, sometimes certain 90s stuff is not for everybody. So this is pretty much a try before you buy mm-hmm. segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the as for the channel itself, we can be found on YouTube. We can be found on. We have a Patreon now. if, if you'd like to give to our cause, to which
2: one other thing to note is, um, we are going to have our RSS feed up very very soon. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. In the meantime, you can find us on YouTube and Dumb Talk Podcast, Instagram, Twitch, and Tumblr. But, you know, Tumblr's living in the 90s, so. So, yes, we also have a Patreon, and as a matter of fact, we'd like to thank our Patreons. In our $5 tier, we have Crimson Kidna, Michelle Travis, and Nico Robin, with Yowie Heads. In our $10 tier, we have Connie cow Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Marco Bermudez, Weeby and of course Marissa Leti. Thank
0: you, Marissa. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Marissa. Your goddess. As for any of us, and what we get up to. Uh, before I let you guys plug yourselves, Ahmad, mm-hmm. I I asked you this in the real life episode. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you again because of the songs used in the show. Do you still want to do your dusty old song you've never heard? Oh, of? I'd
0: love to.
1: Okay, in that case, you can go ahead and plug yourself All right, first. Uh,
0: before I plug myself, since I forgot to mention final thoughts, I just wanted to praise the packaging of this set. Uh, it is wonderfully, like, early DVD technology, and it's the best. Yeah. Um, uh, but with that oh, yeah. out of the way, uh, I, uh, dusty old songs. Um, the show is from the 90s, but musically, it is it is very 80s. <laughs> I was actually... I, actually, I, was, I was surprised when, it, when I heard it was, like, 96, it's, like, this is really '80s sounding music for '96, uh, but that is not a complaint. The OP slaps real fucking hard. Yeah, it is. It will pop. Pu- it will. Oh yes. You right up. I'm glad we're
2: talking um, about the OP somewhere in this episode. But yeah. Oh, you. It is. Hell it, yes. If it
0: were not for the fact that the whole point of this segment is to uh, tell people about things they might not have heard of, I would just recommend the OP. It's like, nope. You could just listen to this on repeat, and you will conquer the world. Um, it is, it, in fact, the OP got me so pumped up, I don't just have one song, I have two songs for us.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: uh, because, as, as mentioned, the, the OP is incredibly 80s pump-up, uh, and, uh, it is it has reminded me of a, there's a, a podcast I enjoy, now defunct, called Beyond Yacht Rock, where the, every episode the hosts make up an arbitrarily defined genre and then present it, uh, and one of them came up with a, a style called Heavy Metal, which is like, uh, Pump up '80s jams that are gonna let you help you, you know, win the Olympics and beat the Russians. You know, you're 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 the best around from the Karate Kid stuff like that. Uh, and they had a very good one on there that I like uh, by Cheap Trick from the uh, Top Gun soundtrack called "Mighty Wings." Uh, and if you like that kind of '80s music, you'll love this song. But this move, this show isn't just about pump up jams. It's also about really being unashamedly goofy. And few things. <laughs> If you want a goofy song about robots in the '80s, do I have one for you? Some of you may be vaguely familiar with uh, Michael Sambello, who did the song "Maniac" from Flashdance. Oh no! Uh, oh, you? Oh oh oh, no. oh, 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 oh. Uh, on I heard Flashdance. Uh, uh, he had a he had a follow up single to that, which is called "Automatic Man." <laughs> and I, I just when you're done with this video, you're probably on YouTube. Go up to the search bar. Search for "Automatic Man" by Michael Cimbello, and just watch the music video. <laughs> you you will thank me later. Um, if you'd like to, if you'd like to uh, come to my Twitter and then yell at me for exposing you to these things, you can find me at i uh, I'm on Dual US Dual is spelled with two U's, and you can hear me talk about movies and music and comic books and things like that.
2: <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you can find me on the twitter.com at Roots of Justice. Um I mainly just uh retweet cute animal, mainly Pug Pics, and uh talk general fandom stuff. You should come by, say hi. Um I'm currently working on reviews that I am going to probably pitch to the fandom post and probably maybe post somewhere else as a backup plan. Um yeah, stuff in the works. Thumbs up.
1: As for me, I'm an assistant editor for the podcast. I'm filling in uh, as a head editor to, to I like, uh, to, to like it's settled in a situation. Right now, I'm currently gone through a marathon run. Right now, I'm finishing up uh, Astro Lost in Space by the time this episode comes out. I can also be found on YouTube at Jamstar1, on Twitter at Jamstar529. I plan on venturing into kind of a solo podcast at some point. Uh, I'll, I'll explain in the details someday. Uh, I have a blog that's collecting dust. I already said stay there where you can find the channel, but since I'm on the your socks, I might as well do a couple myself because I really like the soundtrack to this show. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the but the thing about it is the socks are kinda hard to obtain, so I would suggest like finding like a third hand pot a third hand uh, store that sells import CDs or something like that. I recommend the OP Hauka selling for my dream by Fence of Defense. And Bokudo no Ik- Ikikata by Blue Boy, which if this is edited right, you should be hearing at the end right about now. Cause I've Never heard songs like those two. You do can tell that it's very nineties, especially the ED because that sounded something like out of a Psych the Hedgehog video game nowadays. Mm, that's true. So that haven't been said. Any last words before we end the episode?
2: Get on the robot, uh, Tepe.
0: Uh, dear,
1: oh, <laughs>
0: dear. Dear Viz Media, please uh, put out the BeatX manga in English so that me and Marissa Lenti and George Horvath can read it again. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I am not touching Tokyo Pops manga. I mean, it's just, it's
0: just so out of print at this point. It'd be impossible to find. Yeah, somebody picked that two, up. Two, like, to give you an idea of how poorly it sold, the last volume came out two years after the one before it. And that might have, might have been wow. exclusively been because one guy I followed on Twitter just pestered them so long they finally just did it so he'd stop bothering them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised.
1: Uh, wow. Anyway, if that have not been said, y'all have, y'all enjoy the rest of your day. And otaku on, my friends.
2: Otaku on, Daba.
1: Keep on... F- keep on fighting and have your... Battle Gear!
0: Oh God!